Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, November 27. 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. So, Josh, for the first time since last Tuesday. Um, good morning, Reb. Good morning. Let's get back to Josh. Okay. You have a good and eventful um, <laughs> Go right to Josh. Yeah, Thanksgiving holiday. Yes. Okay. You did what? No shot, Josh. Um, I, w- I went home to Charlotte, okay. got to visit my family. This is actually, strangely enough, probably the first time I've seen my oldest sister in person since I started this job. Okay. Oh, wow. she uh, She's a nurse and she works weekends, which is the only time I get off and can go home. So we, we were talking about that. I'm like, good Lord, I think this is the first time I've seen you in like eight months. So that was nice. That's, good. That's nice. Good. Yes. Well, everything's good with the fam. Oh, yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Rip. You care to give a um, kind of a recap of your Thanksgiving holidays? Well, as boring as it is probably to people, uh, Thanksgiving was nice. Spent it at the in-laws, a lot of good food. You know, that's what you're supposed to do on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. right? You know, turkey, dressing, all the fixings, desserts, love to, it. Yeah, go, go, go to the gym today instead of working out an hour, work out two hours. I feel like I need to go to the gym. That would be a big step in the right direction like you and Josh do. Yeah, right? to you burn know. off some of that comfort for you. <laughs> uh, uh, Friday did Pretty much nothing. I did a little planning for tailgating for Saturday. I went to the game, did tailgate for several hours, made sure we got in there early enough that we wouldn't have to deal with the the crush of traffic at the end. And and it was fine as far as that goes. Uh, Got got in, got into the spot. It was a little bit cool, cold. Um, The game was fun. Obviously, I you know the outcome of the game wasn't exactly what I'd hoped, but the game was fun. I I was not going to let of you know losing the game. Ruin my day. What do you mean you're not going to let? How do you do that? I mean, it was attitude. Are, he's a Vulcan. <laughs> no, no. Well, you got to be. No, I mean, I just went in with the attitude that you know, because you know you get that game, the game at your stadium every other year, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I knew that, and I just wasn't going to let it mess me up. Josh, what did you make of the rival show? I mean, that's the first time you've heard all that bantering back and forth and bickering and you know intense conversation about one side and the other. You're kind of a um. I mean, you're not a partisan in that. You're, right. You're not a gamecock or a tiger. What did you make of that? Um, I actually silly. Uh, for, for he's a, silly. He he's probably bored. Uh, I'll tell you this: for for a non-football fan, I did kind of enjoy some of the argument argument menting uh, when we, especially when you <laughs> guys, yes, uh, when you guys started Ar- talking argumenting. about yeah, like uh, college students leaving. That was a that was a kinism. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, write list. that one down. Put him on my list. <laughs> argumenting uh when when you guys got to uh talking about college students leaving the game at halftime so that they can uber you know you and i don't i kind of lost track of who was talking but uh you were arguing with some other guys about that i kind of enjoyed you guys going back and forth on that that was interesting they're blasting the students for leaving the game at halftime right not not there the, the coach, the head coach of well, your I mean, team is blasting students. And, and everybody's kind of buying into that. You know, the students should give the, the football team its full attention and, uh, you know, unbridled support. And I'm just defending the students by saying, I mean, you, you build a campus, excuse me, you build a stadium off campus. I get it. I mean, it was free land back in the day. And, and the campus is more connected now than it's ever been. But you build an off-campus stadium. And I mean, transport you're not providing adequate transportation for kids to go and come. They're depending on ancillary alternatives and it, it, it complicates things. And yeah, I defend the kids. I mean, if you're going to beat up on the kids for leaving the game early, they got a way for the kids to get back to campus. 
if they don't leave the game early. I mean, that that's my primary argument. And I've talked to too many parents and kids who go to USC who deal with that. Rev knows that. I mean, mm-hmm. Rev's kid um, Ubered in mm-hmm. to the tailgate site uh, this weekend. Yep. And it's expensive. I mean, it gets real expensive. My daughter took a screenshot of a 3.1-mile Uber ride um, on game night. And it was about $57. Yeah, they jack up those those high-demand times. And, but they clearly tell you this is a high-demand period. You know, we're going to have to charge you a lot more to get you from point A to point B. Hey, um, can I rant for a minute speaking sure of that? So, sure you can. Uh, b- because we normally are at the fairgrounds tailgating, and we leave Bluff Road. And I think the, the, the Law Enforcement Highway Patrol, they do a great job of getting the, that much traffic out of there on a weekly basis. When 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 they do, I mean, it really turned the lanes around, and it's it's about efficient as it can be. So kudos to them normally. But this time I had to go out, for people that are familiar with the area, had to go out Assembly Street and go into town instead of going up Bluff Road. Um, got out of the fairgrounds okay and on Assembly Street, and it's like, what, six or – they've got all those lanes turned as well and six or seven lanes going out toward town. And then I hear – that's a train horn in case you don't know. And sounded, I, I, it sounded exactly like one. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I had says, to explain. Says the one person out there listening right. is just rolling out of bed this morning. Right. So uh, <laughs> the longest train. Rev mimic the train horn yeah. at six eleven on a Monday <laughs> morning. Right. <laughs> See, that's why. And I had to explain but if you what saw it was. Him, I mean, there was an optic. I, I, I pulled I mean, down he pulled the, 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 he pulled the cord down. Yeah, the know? official horn sound, you know, uh, and, and and visual. <laughs> and you followed along. I'm well, impressed. I did, but yeah. I don't think anybody else out there did. I'm impressed, um, but. So I hear the train horn. I said, don't tell me there's a train coming up the CSX tracks here, right? And sure enough, the longest train I think I've ever seen is going. It goes along assembly, and then it crosses assembly. So then I see the gates go down ahead. Now we're probably about half a mile back at that point, and it's all taillights in front of you. And I don't know, probably added 20, 30 Seemed like an hour, probably 20 or 30 minutes for that train to get by. The guy driving the train could care less about the football game. Well, obviously. I mean, that, that's pretty obvious. I mean, he but could don't care less. you think that, that people that are in charge that know train schedules and know game schedules could do something so that crap doesn't happen? Well, I mean, th- but think about this, guys. There are far more people who aren't football fans than are. Well, I'm just talking about the logistics I, I of it. I'm not talking that. about them being, you know, it's a, a, the football game is important to us, but most people it is not. It is not, but it's not important at all. There's a universe of people who care a little bit. There's a universe of people who care a lot. Um, but even if you take those two universities, the, the universes, the universe of people who don't care at all is much larger and grander than the combination of those of us who care a lot and then those who don't care much at all. Um, what did you make of... The, uh, the game. I, mean, I, I didn't go. I sat in my muscle shirt at, at Litchfield and watched, um, you know, intently, yeah. very intently. Yep. Um, but I've, I've got a lot to say about it. We'll get there at some point in time today. But um, what did you make of it? Well, and, and I, we talked about this during the Rivals game on Wednesday last week. I don't watch football like you do and, and all the, I called you football gurus sitting around the table on during the show on Wednesday. I mean, I'm, I really am a shallow football watcher i go for the experience i go to support i want to see you know throws catches you, you scores go for the good time right and and a w if you can get it sure um so God, i wish i were you <laughs> and 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 so i, I was i, I enjoyed it i mean and, and really jealous of that the only thing i'll say about this is that the teams both are not very good and as a result 
you know, as a Gamecock fan, you felt like you had a chance to pull it out until you get to the last, you know, five minutes yeah. or so of the game. So from that point, you know, it's fun and exciting. But once the clock starts rolling down and you realize, yeah, there's no way we're going to score twice here at the end, um, even though your opponent never scored a an offensive touchdown. Well, I mean, it uh, was all a defense touchdown and some field goals, right? Yeah, and it was just a nasty game. I yeah. mean, it was a ugly. I, I, I read online that it for for people watching on TV that it was extremely boring. Well, I mean, as big a fan as I am of the Gamecocks, and as big a fan I am of this rivalry, it was hard to watch. I mean, it, it really yeah. was. I mean, it was, and I've watched a lot of these games over the years. I've attended a lot of these games over the year. It's still exciting because it's a rivalry game and the Gamecocks and Tigers are playing and some team's going to win and some fan base is going to have uh, bragging rights, but it was nasty. I mean, it was just ugly. I mean, there, there was nothing about that game that was exciting as far as I'm concerned. I saw some posts on, um, on, on social media about the, the intensity of the defenses. Uh, okay. I mean, I, you know, when yeah, both, the defenses both played well, but, but they, no, it was a low scoring game, right? The defenses played well because the offenses sucked. Right. I mean, the, the Clemson defense is better than the Gamecock defense, but I'm not sure which offense is better. I mean, they, they're both pathetic. I mean, they, they were just ugly. I mean, real ugly. Um, Clemson doesn't trust their quarterback. They just don't. And, and there's a reason they don't trust him because he's not very trustworthy. Um, if you keep allowing him to try and make plays, he'll give it to the other team. I mean, that, you know. Right. So and, just uh, give it to Shipley. And I mean, by the so, way, he well, can play. Well, I mean, Shipley can play, you know, and then they're, they're once Clemson's a better team, and I said that going in. Um, but but it's just my, my frustration as a Gamecock fan during the run Clemson had, and I'm talking about, I'll call it the um, the Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence era of, ga- of uh, Tiger football. I mean, it was. I mean, you, you go into that game knowing you're getting ready to play one of the best teams in America, and if you lose, there's no shame in that. I mean, you just know that. You, when, when Deshaun Watson was quarterback at Clemson, and they were elite, and, and you, you kind of strapped up and you gave it your best shot, but you knew that you were playing one of the best teams in America, and, and when you walked off the field and you gave it all you had and you lost, you said, yeah, but I lost to one of the best teams. In the I live with that. It's hard to digest what happened Saturday night as a Gamecock because you didn't lose to one of the best teams in America. You know, I mean, the Gamecocks suck. I mean, their stats show that, and there's a lot of cleaning up to do um, there. But it was, um, I mean, it was, it was it was as competitive as I thought it would be because I don't think one team was that much better than the other. But but the Gamecocks couldn't make mistakes, and on the second play of the game, they throw this lateral, and it looked like a pass, and you wanted to feel a pass, and you're hoping as a Gamecock fan they overturn it. Um, I mean, I don't know what the uh, emotions were in the stadium, but it was obvious after <laughs> you, you the first imagine. replay. Well, I mean, after the first replay, it was a lateral. You know, when Clemson yep. picks it up and runs it in once again, uh, I mean, that, that was the only touchdown they scored. Right. So so it was two anemic offenses. I mean, it's two teams searching for identity. I don't have any idea uh, where, where they go from here. I mean, Clemson won the game. Give them credit where credit's due. They came into a visitor stadium in a rivalry game in a hostile environment and figured out a way to win the game. And I've said it a hundred times, and I'll say it hundred and one. Ugly wins don't count for one half of a win. You know, um, program defining wins don't count for one and a half wins. They all count exactly the same. Um, now, now, to your point, about midway through the third quarter, and the Gamecocks are down what nine? I might have been down six. Anyway, I can't remember. Um, I remember thinking to myself, they got to catch a big break. Yeah, I mean, they, they're just not going to sustain a drive. They're not. I mean. I said uh, Wednesday at Rivals, if you can't protect for uh, Rattler, I mean, he, and he ran for his life. I mean, every time he turned around, he's 
running for his life and throwing it over his shoulder, trying to get it out of there and, and see, in as, some way, as, shape, or form. As a Gamecock fan, you, you held out a little hope because they did prove early in the game that they could march down the field and score. But they I did think it. Clemson made some adjustments. and I'm sure. um, I mean, they, they brought pressure. Um, I mean, they brought five or six. They could rush the pass with four down linemen. But they started stunting the lineman and bringing a backer on the outside of the Gamecock. If you say line. so. <laughs> but, I mean, the Gamecock line just didn't have any any answers for that. They, they are not good to begin with, and they're particularly not good when you play in a really good defensive front. And Clemson has a really good defensive front. I'll tell you this. The, the Clemson defensive front and probably their linebackers are above average. There wasn't a unit on either team outside of that above average. I mean, it's just uh, it, it was very pedestrian. Uh, football, but once again, an ugly win is a win yep. uh, is a win. That's the micro. I mean, to me, there's a much more. There, there's a macro there. Your macro, is, by the way, you, what you posted on social media, and I think it got picked up by Fitz News. Uh, Will, Will texted me late yesterday yep. afternoon. Said, "You mind if I do that? You mind if I publish that? Because so, that that expresses some of the sentiments of oh, a, that was so good. A, a frustrated fan base, and well, some, I mean, some of the things you've been saying on the show, but you put it in such a a a, a, a well written piece." Um, that well, I imagine that Gamecock fans really should go and read that. It's on your on your Facebook and on Fitz News. Well, I mean, I don't like losing to a good Clemson team. Right. I surely don't like losing to a bad Clemson <laughs> team. Right. So it was hard no to get excuse a, for that. It was hard to get to bed that night. Once again, hey, when you when you when you lose to Watson and Lawrence, you shake their hand and say, guys, I mean, that, those are bona fide big time players. They're first round draft choices. No shame in losing to those guys. You, you just kind of hope they get out of town sooner than later. But to lose that game Saturday night. Um, I mean, it's frustrating. Once again, Clemson deserved a win. I'm not making light of the victory. They deserve to win the game. But to lose that game and put forth no better an effort than they did in the micro, once again, in the micro, in the moment, in that given night, real frustrating, real frustrating to not be able to muster any more <laughs> offense than they were uh, that they were able. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. Kind of a harder Monday morning to wake up after a longer weekend. <laughs> it went fast. Holiday so. weekend. It went fast. Somebody's awake and on the phone. Let's go there. BT in Florence. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, comment on the, on the game. It was a dog to watch, Ken. Uh, that's the best way I know how to put it. And we're going to a bowl game, and what Clemson men in their right mind are going to spend good money to go watch that mess again. So that's all I got. Y'all have a good one. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I don't know what to make of that. I mean, I'm not close enough to the Clemson program to understand where they are and where they think they are. Um, I mean, that that's, you know, you've been to the top of the mountain. and but, That's a different perspective well, when I mean, you've it, been there. It is. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, in, in minor sport like baseball, I mean, I know what it's like to believe you're better than anybody in the nation. And then I know how hard it is to accept that moment in time when you're not. I mean, I, you know, I don't know when it was during Tanner's run that Gamecock baseball faithful said, wow, I mean, we're as good as anybody in America, maybe a little bit better than anybody in America. And I think Clemson football lived through some of that. I mean, it's obvious they won two national championships. So we are as good or better than anybody in football. At what moment in time coming down the mountain did Clemson say, what in the world's happening here? I mean, that, that was the revelation to me. Once again, I've not watched Clemson play a lot. Um, because I'm a Gamecock fan, and I'm at the games, and I'm watching other games, and, you know, I mean, I've seen them play. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've watched, uh, you know, 10 quarters of Clemson football over the past year. Um, but but they're, I mean, they, they've got issues. 
I mean, they've got a lot of issues. And, it, you know, I'm not saying it begins and ends with quarterback play, but they're inconsistent there. Uh, they don't trust that guy to <laughs> perform in certain particular situations, and it's obvious they don't. Um, but, but you know, I'm not saying two bad teams. I mean, Clemson's the top 25 team, but they're a, a long way from where they were, you know, just, what, five years ago, mm-hmm. four years ago, whenever it was that Trevor Lawrence left. Um, and I was thinking about Rick Pitino. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but when Rick Pitino took the job as coach of the Celtics, there was a moment that one of these uh, one of these older reporters basically referred to the banners hanging in the old Boston Garden, you know, the, all the championship banners, and we're the Boston Celtics, and Pitino just lost it. And he said, Larry Bird ain't walking through that door. Kevin McHale ain't walking through that door. We are what we are, and we try to get better every day. But this ain't the same team that had Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Dennis Johnson, and Danny Ainge. I mean, this is a new version of of the um, – and I don't know what happened to Clemson. I mean, did, did they miss on recruiting? Um, have they gotten a little bit less edgy than they were? I mean, Brent Venables left. They had turnip seed left. I know that probably had a um, not-so-positive effect or impact. But as a Gamecock fan, I got enough to say grace over, and I'm not as concerned <laughs> about the, um, you know, the, uh, the prospects of – of Clemson football as much as I am uh, with the Gamecocks. And, and I, I put something out yesterday, and I, I've given it a lot of thought. I, I do believe, I mean, I'm not an insider. I'm, I'm not inside the program. I, you know, I know a lot of the insiders. I speak to a lot of the insiders, um, and I give my two cents worth to some of these folks who are important in where the football program goes and what happens uh, next around the corner. And, and I use this as an example to my social media um, post. Steve Spurrier coached three college football teams. I mean, Steve Spurrier would be as close to a football savant as we've seen in our lifetime. Um, Steve Spurrier was a very, very successful college football coach. And, I mean, legendary in in the South. Spurrier won a championship at two of the three schools he coached, and he didn't at one. Why? I mean, ask yourself that. Spurrier won an ACC championship at Duke. I think he won six or seven SEC championships at Florida. He coached South Carolina for, what, 10 years? Why didn't he win a championship? I mean, they went to the first ever SEC championship game, but there's something about the program. And it's systemic, it's cultural, it's infrastructure. There's a lot of things, and I try to explain what I would do if I were king of the world in addressing 120-some-odd years of football mediocrity. I mean, that, that was the point of and intent of my social media rant. I mean, you catch Clemson when they're down and you're at home and your fan base is this hot. I mean, it was a hostile environment. I could tell that. It was an excitable crowd. I mean, the stadium was packed and Clemson is what they are and they still figured out a way to win the game. That's the Clemson way. I mean, that's the Clemson culture and that's not the Gamecock culture. And there's a reason for that. And you can't point to a head coach because if you do, you can point to Steve Spurrier. I mean, if Spurrier can't win a championship at South Carolina under the current construct of the athletics program, then who can? I mean, think about that. If Steve Spurrier can't win an SEC championship, then something's got to be – you can't say it's the coach's fault. I mean, there's no way. Now, now Spurrier got a kind of an inside straight when there were some dudes that showed up in the recruiting classes of South Carolina – and I'm talking about Clowney and Gilmore and Lattimore and, you know, Connor, some of these other really good, uh, uh, Devin Taylor, Melvin Ingram. A lot of these guys played, uh, you know, a lot of that. Clowney had a big game last night in the NFL. I mean, but, you know, th- those were football players. But there's still, there's still something lacking 
in the systemic cultural um, integration of the athletics department. And I propose this. I think that there's a new era in college football. It kind of dominated the uh, the show Wednesday. This NIL transfer portal era is changing the way things um, have to be processed in the game of college football. And I believe the team, Reb, the program that implements an NFL front office model is going to fare much better than those who don't. Um, we're talking about Clemson struggles. I think some of the Clemson struggle is they didn't necessarily embrace at the beginning NIL and transfer portal. It's a culture and development program, and that's a good way to build a program. Um, the, the culture of the program, the developmental aspect of the program that Dabo Sweeney so passionately believes in have served him amazingly well. Look at Dabo's a Hall of Fame college football coach, but all of a sudden the rules change. And uh, the, the Ed O'Bannon lawsuit in California breaks the player's way. NIL becomes real. Transfer portal's part of the game. And I think Clemson kind of pushed back on that a bit. I don't know if Dabo opposed it. He's a smart guy. I mean, he sees the writing on the wall, and he knows he's not the king of college football, so he's got to make some adjustments. But maybe they, maybe they, you know, were, were slow to, 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 to adjust. Maybe they didn't address that big change in college football as quickly as some have. Missouri probably did. Uh, Missouri and Florida State. I mean, those two schools probably did the best job of any two I can think of in addressing this evolution in college football. And look where they are. I mean, both programs are in the top ten. Deservedly so. Should be in the top ten. Missouri? Well, I mean, Missouri? <laughs> I mean, that's not a football powerhouse. They seem to come out of nowhere but, this I mean, year. But, but they, I mean, they've got, they, they have the, they, they lobby the Missouri State Legislature to allow them to do things with their NIL and transfer money that other schools couldn't do because they didn't petition the General Assembly to provide clarity on legislation about what we can and cannot do. But give Missouri a lot of credit. Give Florida State a lot of credit. Whether you like this new model or not, it is what it is. And I think I think the University of South Carolina should adopt the model of a NFL team that includes a football chief executive officer that operates separate of the athletics director. I think the athletics director shouldn't hire the, the head football coach. I anymore. saw that in your post. Now that's that's an interesting concept because typically, obviously, the athletic director or the the head coach reports to and is hired by the athletic director. Who hires the football coach in the NFL? Of the team president, which mm-hmm. would be the school president in in college football yep. format, and the general manager. Yeah, you know the football CEO, so to speak. I mean, they they got a lot of different names for it: director of player personnel, director of football operations, general manager, whatever. I mean, you call it CEO, call it whatever you want to call it. But um, but I just think that that the Gamecocks have a chance to address the culture, system, and infrastructure, um, in, in a time where everybody else is trying to figure out. In, in other words, the 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 legacy you built, the tradition rich program that you have, it doesn't mean as much today. It's all about the do-re-mi. The, these, these portal players, I heard yesterday, I'll share this, I heard yesterday there's a tight end in Texas looking around, isn't happy with his playing time. He was a five-star recruit. South Carolina's one of the schools that he's considered, you know, a, um, I mean, that he could land there. He kind of likes some of what they do with the tight end. He's got some history with the Beamer family. Um, that, that's new. I mean, that, that's never been before in college football. So Jimbo Fisher gets fired. This All-American, potential All-American tied into Texas A&M is thinking about transferring out. I mean, who's on the phone with him? 
I mean, forget culture and and tradition. I mean, it's about the money now. Yeah. It, it's business. Sure, it's the business of college football is now out in the open and made public. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the politics of Saturday. President Donald Trump, former and to be president of the United <laughs> States, was on hand with Governor Henry McMaster. Yep. Um, that was cool, too. Well, I mean, it way. was cool until it wasn't cool. And I've told you what I think. But anyway, you and I may disagree about this. Well, I mean, I'm, we may. And that's fine. Makes for better radio, especially on an early Monday morning. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Rev says he and I may disagree a bit on this, and mm-hmm. I would imagine we do. I was honored to have former president, and I think Clemson and Gamecock fans agree here, to have a former president attend a uh, you know, a, a football game that means as much as the Carolina Clemson game does to the fine and decent people of South Carolina is a big deal. Um, letting him on the field was something I was not in support of. You say? I was fine with that. Okay. Um, now, let's go back to the beginning. As this, the game is special, as you said, to the fans in South Carolina. My son made, the, my older son made the comment as we're walking in. He said, man, this just feels different. He it felt does. He felt the excitement and the electricity. And we get in there and get into our seats. And just by happenstance, the box where President Trump is is right behind the seats. We're in, in Section 3, and the box, I guess it's a president's box or something. I'm sure it's the, the top level, whatever it is, um, is right above the seat. So, I mean, I turned around. All, this, all of a sudden, you see people around you turn around and look and and, and I turn around, and he's right there. I mean, I, I sent you a picture. You know, no, you like, sent me 100 pictures. I said, watch the game, dude. <laughs> I, just, I mean, pull for the Gamecocks. Don't worry about the president. And so you add the electricity of the game, of the, the, the rivalry, and then you turn around and see that dude in the box behind you. I mean, that just, that just amped it up. So, again, I agree it was cool. I'm biased because I support him, and I like him, and I'm going to vote for him. I voted for him before, Cap. I'll put that out there for, for, for what it's worth. I have no problem with him going on the field. I will say this. I was in the bathroom. I just can't believe it. I had to go, and I went to the bathroom, and I came back, and he'd already come and gone on the field. And I think he left the game right I after mean, Here's, here's my problem. I mean, once again, an honor to, and privilege to have a former president come to a, a football game that means as, much, it means as much as it does to the people of South Carolina. The Clemson Carolina game is the biggest single sports day in our state. To have the president here adds excitement to that already exciting day. No question about it. I know for a fact, talked to some folks yesterday. I guess I'm a journalist here this morning. (laughs) I know for a fact. Breaking news. That people within the USC Athletics Department were perfectly fine and accommodating for President Trump to be in a box somewhere. They didn't like him on the field. They didn't like that idea. They thought it distracted from the players, the bands, the coaches. Um, I mean, who upstages the president of the United States? Nobody does, especially when he's as, you know, large and and loud as Donald Trump is. I mean, with all due respect, and I mean that, I'm a Trump voter, no question about it, but, but here's my frustration. You ready? What do I believe is one of the primary reasons that South Carolina has not been able to advance in, in, in football prowess? I think it's too political. I mean, I, I heard that growing up as a kid. Well, you know, it's real political at USC. I mean, the, the state house is literally on the campus, and um, here, here's what I've heard, and here's where I'm frustrated and bothered and aggravated uh, by it. The president and the university are agreeing to allow him to attend the game uh, and accommodating him in attending the game. I mean, from what I'm gathering, my sources, 
um, tell me that the athletics department were very accommodating to whatever he needed outside and aside from being on the field. But the political side got working. And the course, political it's a, it's side a campaign opportunity, obviously. Well, I mean, and that's just for him. I, I don't know. Here's what I'll say, Reb. If the if the athletics department at Clemson had said to Henry McMaster, "We love you, but you and Trump aren't coming on the field," they would have not acquiesced. They would have not given in. When the university's athletics department, from what I hear, pushed back a bit, that the political side of USC got to work, and. There's no question who won that. I mean, he's on the field. I mean, it's like, you know, he's standing there waving to the crowd. Henry's standing there waving to the crowd. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, um, I'm a McMaster supporter. He's a Republican governor. I'm certainly a Trump supporter because I'm maggot of the bone. But, but I, I just <laughs> believe that at Clemson, the athletic department would not have yielded to the political forces. At USC, it's a mismatch the political forces rolled over the athletics department like it was not even in the way. And that's a lot of the problem. So, yeah. It what, is what, a, is the, what, what is the problem with it? It distracts from the game. At halftime? On the field? See, I don't have a problem. With, and and, here, man, here's, and, I, and here, I respect that, and I'm not saying I'm right. I mean, you, you've never heard me say, I know this is the way it should have been done. My opinion is the president in the box is appropriate. And, and it's rewarding, and it's gratifying, and it, and it adds to the game. You're right. An already exciting day becomes even more exciting because there's this, you know, larger-than-life figure that's here. But letting him on the field takes away from the importance of the game. The players belong on the field. At halftime, the bands belong on the field. The, um, you know, the, the women's basketball team being honored at Clemson when they're at Death Valley, or that'd be a bad example. That'd be a good example. At, um, <laughs> at the men's golf team at Clemson. Yeah being honored. I mean that that's a that's a moment and a and kind of a sacred place for those sorts of university honoring activities, not a place for a governor to say, look who I brought to town. Look how big a deal I am. And he's a bigger deal than me. I mean why not I mean the box should have been good enough. That that's just my point. Now, now once again, the other element to my disagreement is the belief that it further emphasizes how political USC really is. Oh, okay. see, all that at halftime of the biggest game of the year, we're going to let the governor and a former president that some like and some don't kind of dominate the halftime festivities. I just think it's bad. I think it sends a bad signal. A, a lot of people believe that USC is too influenced by politics. Well, now there's no doubt. I mean, you can't even question whether USC is too dominated by, by politics or not. And from what I'm gathering, from what I'm gathering, the athletics department pushed back a little bit, and they were steamrolled. By, by the polit- by the good old boys and the political side. And I just think that's a bad message to send, especially when your fan base believes the reason we can't win is, you know, politics are too centric. But are you against, say, when they do halftime honoring of first responders? No. You know, that's, no that has but, nothing to do with but, football. But that, 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 that doesn't suggest political influence. I mean, and I don't know how this goes down. I mean, I know how. No, 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 I know you're down. looking at it. Somebody from the governor's yeah. office calls some prominent board like. member. I get that. And the prominent board member calls some other prominent board members. And out of that came somebody calling Ray Tanner or somebody at the football office and said, hey, you know, they really want this to happen. Here, okay. Here's, okay. Here's why we'll, I'm. We'll do what we always do. And we'll let the we'll let the politicians get their way because, you know, we're USC. Because <laughs> yeah, they run this place. Yeah, and I've heard since <laughs> I was a kid that, you know, and that just frustrates me. They I mean, run it. it. But but it's, it's the reason that, that, you know, that I think 
politics is too big a part. Here's why I USC. think it was a good thing. And he has his detractors, obviously. You know, probably about half the people there weren't happy to see him. But the upper deck loved him. The club level hates him. <laughs> but, but, but here's why I thought it was cool. Because like I explained earlier, our seats just happened to be right in front of the box. So we had the opportunity. You know, Every time people, and, and there were several times, he would wave and point and, and people cheer and taking the pictures and stuff. But that was only in our section. So you had somebody that might have been on the other side. And, 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 and a post on Twitter I saw uh, yesterday kind of brought this into focus for me. They said, hey, I'm not a Trump supporter. However, I've never seen a president in the flesh before, and I just think it was cool. My takeaway is this, Josh, and then we'll take a break. If you went into that game believing that politics run the University of South Carolina, you left that game damn sure they do. <laughs> take a break. Hey, let me ask you one more question now. Is it different, and I, and I know this is college versus pro, but is it different than a president throwing out a first pitch at a baseball game? I think it is. I think it is. Okay. Um, and and it, if it happened at Nebraska, I wouldn't care. But but I know I know the belief that a lot of people have about USC. The reason they can't win big in ball or in sports is because they allow the politics to influence so heavily what happens or doesn't happen. Well, okay. We showed you we don't deny that. We're not hiding from that. Of course we do. Athletic department says, ah, let's don't do that. The, the politicians get to work and steamroll. What the athletics department, from what I'm gathering, my sources say, the athletics department pushed back a little bit, but once again, uh, we know who won. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Our number, someone held on. A couple of folks held on to the break. Let's go to the phone. Terry in Lake City, good morning. You are on the air. Hey, good morning, guys. Hope you had a good holiday. Um, question for you, Ken. Do you think had the game been in Clemson this weekend, do you think Trump would have showed up and it would have been this, the same fanfare and the same uh, display had it been in Clemson this weekend? I don't know. Henry's a USC graduate and worked for Carolina after he left the AG's office and before he became governor. Henry was the lead fundraiser for the law school. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd be total speculation. I don't know how Clemson runs its place. I, I know a little bit more about Carolina. And, I mean, I'm not surprised by what happened, Terry, because when the university's athletics department pushed back a little bit about Trump being on the field – from what I gathered yesterday, the political side got to work and kind of ran over whatever their wishes were. But I don't know that I could honestly say whether yay or nay they would have. I think they would embrace Trump getting there. I mean, I think if Trump called the Clemson, um, you know, Clemson president and said, hey, I'm going to be in South Carolina. I'd love to come to the game that you guys are hosting in Death Valley. I think Clemson would have been very receptive to having him as a guest of the university's president. And, and whoever prominent politicians would have been there kind of on the Clemson side. I mean, Lindsey's a big Tiger fan, but Lindsey was in the box, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was. With, uh, with, with Trump. I just don't think Clemson's athletics department would have been bullied politically into doing something that they really and truly were not supportive of. Thank you, Terry. Appreciate yeah. that. I mean, and, that. And not only was Lindsey there, by the way, uh, our friend Russell Fry, regular yeah. contributor to the show. And you got a lot of Tiger fans. Excuse me. You got a lot of Tiger graduates. I mean, they're big Clemson fans, but they went to USC Law. I mean, they're still Clemson fans, but they went to USC Law. Mm -hmm. So when they need the Gamecocks for something, they can say, well, I'm a dual graduate. I mean, I, yeah, I'm a Clemson fan, but I went to law school at, at South Carolina. Um, I mean, Henry's a Gamecock. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But, but what would have happened in Clemson, I don't know. I can't imagine. 
Trump calling the president of Clemson wanted to come to the game in Death Valley, any game for that matter, and the president of Clemson saying, thank you, but no, thank you, you'd rather not uh, you, you come. I, I just can't imagine that. He's an, an, an unbelievably prominent political figure in America. And he, and I, he's, he has a history of going. Didn't he go to the Iron Bowl one year yeah, and he I mean, went to the SEC like championship well, I mean, game? He, so. he, he would be – I mean, I don't want to call Trump every man's president, but that's the way he oh, portrays he knows where himself. Out. Is. Of course he does. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's the working class. It's um. I mean, I joked around and told someone Saturday. They said, "Wonder how he'll be received." I said, "The upper deck will love him, and the club level will despise him." You know, they, I mean, <laughs> they'll, they'll they want a picture and shake his hand, but they're not voting for. I mean, the folks in that club level. I mean, they built the machine. They're in charge of the machine, and he's a threat to the machine. And that's not garnet or orange. That's garnet and orange. I'll assure you with that. Those orange who have uh, figured out a way to influence the body politic, they don't like a, a disruptor, a troublemaker, a rabble rouser. Um, but, but the, you know, the, 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 the guy who doesn't feel like he has much of a voice in the political discourse, he's their guy. And, uh, and whether he's genuine, sincere, uh, means it, we've debated that since day one. I don't have any idea. You don't either. I mean, every, every, every sentence we utter in regards to whether Trump is sincerely and genuinely in support of an America first agenda or, or the American working class is total speculation. I have no idea what's in the guy's heart. You have no idea what's in the guy's heart. I know the people that vote for him believe he means it. And to me, that's their prerogative and that's good enough. If that's what they choose to do, let's go to the phone. Verd Odom, Marlboro County. Hello, Verd. Good. Good morning. Uh, let's don't forget our, the best Lieutenant governor in America, Pamela Evett. She was in the box too this weekend. Uh, Ken, uh, what Talk makes you the college. best lieutenant governor in America? <laughs> Coming from a former <laughs> lieutenant governor. Because uh, if you if you watch the news uh, six or seven days a week, most of the time she's somewhere in South Carolina promoting South Carolina, going in a business. And, uh, you know, I, you look around, and I'm sure there's a lot of other great lieutenant governors. But Pam Evans Well, does, I know uh, one. I mean, I know one was a hell of a good lieutenant governor <laughs> for the little bit of time they let him stay there. <laughs> I agree with that, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank um, you, finally. finally. Yeah, I, I was so damn good they ran me off. <laughs> Talking about the politics, though, it's a USC. Uh, it goes back to uh, 66 to 74. Uh, uh, Paul Dietzel, coach at South Carolina. He won a national championship at LSU. The uh, trustees at South Carolina, they fell in love with him, hired him. And he went through nine seasons, a losing losing record, uh, only three winning seasons, three winning seasons out of nine. But uh, we used to try and figure out why don't they get rid of him? Well, the trustees loved him, <laughs> and they weren't going to get rid of him, you know, even even with a losing record. But uh, you know, that's been embedded in South Carolina's football program and the sports program really uh, for a long time. That uh, the trustees and uh, and the donors, to a, a large extent, they they seem to be have more of a finger on uh, who coaches and who plays, and it's kind of a sad thing. Here we are, decades and decades later, and we still trying to build a winning program. But uh, anyway, uh, great to have President Trump in South Carolina. Uh, and regarding Trump and sports, President Trump is a sports person. You remember he was involved with the USFL, one of the large sponsors of it. Uh, He's uh, uh, supports all kind of sports, golf, and everything else. So it's not the fact that he's just a president and just happened to show up at South Carolina. He shows up at a lot of sports events and stuff, and and he does he does support uh, sports. Thank you very anyway, appreciate that. Yeah, because um one of the uh, one of the relationships her uh, Herschel Walker played for the New Jersey Generals. Walker was 
the best college football player I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, there aren't a lot of things I'm sure of. I mean, there are things I'll debate Josh with, and I'll debate Reb. You're not going to get me to move from that. I mean, Bo Jackson was great. Tim Tobo was great. Archie Griffin was great. Um, I mean, there have been Deshaun Watson, Trevor. I mean, there have been a, 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 a thousand, about 10,000 great college football players. But it takes me one second to say the best college football player I've ever seen, and it was Herschel Walker. Well, when Walker got drafted, remember, that was the USFL. And the New Jersey Generals were owned by Donald Trump. And Trump figured out a way to basically get the best college football player to not go to the NFL, but rather the USFL. Because he was into big splashes and, you know, I mean, obviously marketing and branding has always been a big part. Uh, Dana White says that Donald Trump was always kind and gracious to him. And when UFC needed capital to grow, Trump kind of steered him in a particular direction, sent him to some friendly banks and said, hey, man, this guy's trying to grow a business. He'll pay you back. Uh, You know, I believe in him. I'm asking you to believe in him. So Trump's always been kind of a sports junkie. I mean, he goes to get plays a lot of golf, goes to golf tournaments. Now, I don't think he makes as many hole-in-ones as he says he does. <laughs> um, but it's not like, uh, what is North Korea, Kim Jong-un says he, um, you know, aces every hole he's ever every played. Hole, right. Never made a two in his life. <laughs> and the people of North Korea believe it because they're made to believe it. If <laughs> and, you don't believe it, you get your hands cut off. And we know that Trump likes, what, MMA now? Sure. Right? Yeah. And that's Dana White at the UFC. Yeah. I mean, he, it, you know, when Dana White tried to grow – the, uh, the ultimate fighting championship, but he couldn't get money. It was kind of a niche. And everybody's like, I'm not loaning you money to host fighting events, man. You're crazy. And Trump spoke on his behalf, and the rest is history. Dana White's become a, a very wealthy man, you know, with these UFC pay-per-view extravaganzas. What, what was the video he went to the MMA last weekend, maybe the weekend before? He and, and Kid Rock. Yeah, and Joe, it was Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, Kid Rock, Dana Tucker White, Carlson. and uh, Tucker Carlson was there. <laughs> Now, I don't think Tucker had his bow tie on because the octagon and bow ties just don't <laughs> quite. Um, Tucker went to Georgetown. How many guys that went to Georgetown go to the UFC? But Tucker didn't know better than to wear than to wear the bow tie. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Roger and Pamplico, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Well, Ken, you keep up more with South Carolina than I would uh, being a Clemson guy. And I've always heard, you know, politics, you know, that's just been standard line for Carolina football is politics but i want to go back when i was 12 13 years old you're talking the early 70s um i used to follow their basketball team when frank mcguire was there and the, the obvious storyline at that time and i don't know if there's how much truth there was to it was that frank mcguire got carolina out of the acc because he couldn't he could never win it he, he won it one year uh, in the tournament there with uh, Reebok, Roach, and that crowd. But uh, at that time, you know, basketball was king. I mean, football was secondary uh, during that time, especially, you know, back when they were in the ACC. But I'm saying if there's anybody that goes back that far, which there should be somebody in your listening audience that goes back that far, did the political giants of the time uh, – Rule, rule athletics then, or did Frank McGuire rule athletics? And why was he so much more influential than the football coach at that time? Uh, you know, just kind of a thought I had, you know, because that was just the standard line in the early 70s that he wanted to get out of the ACC. 
which I think was the biggest mistake they ever made, uh, you know, looking at it. But anyhow, just throw that out there. Thank you, Roger. Appreciate that. McGuire was larger than life, and everything that I'll tell you is based on what others have told me. I mean, I was not – Roger's a little bit older than I am. I remember the McGuire era. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I remember, you know, the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. I mean, I remember in the backyard doing that Father, Son, the Holy Ghost like John Roche did, and my father said, what the hell are you doing? Said, I'm doing what John Roach does. We're not Catholic. Stop doing that. I mean, we're, you know, but, but I mean, anyway, Roach did it, so it was good enough for me. And they had all these New York Catholic kids that came down south. Here's what I've been told. Take it for what it's worth. I've been told that McGuire convinced the South Carolina and Clemson brass because he was a big deal. I mean, he was a national championship winning coach, um, coached in the NBA for a bit, um, had built programs all over the place. Um, coach Wilt Chamberlain. I think, or coached against Wilt Chamberlain in the national championship game um, at North Carolina, maybe. I think he won the national championship at North Carolina. Um, but anyway, when McGuire came to South Carolina, he felt that the Tar Heels and Wolfpack, Tobacco Road in general, I think Duke and Wake may have been a small part of this, but mainly North Carolina State, North Carolina, treated the Gamecocks and Tigers like second-rate citizens. The basketball series, Ref, would include – the Gamecocks and Tigers going to Charlotte to play in the old Charlotte Coliseum. The Gamecocks would play the the Tar Heels Friday night. South Carolina would play NC State, and they'd flip-flop the next night, play a doubleheader, you know, Friday and Saturday, and that would be called the Gamecock and Tiger home games. And then they'd go to Chapel Hill and Raleigh and play in, in their stadiums. And I've always been told from fairly reliable sources, but they are Gamecocks, so they would have a certain perspective on this that McGuire convinced the Gamecock brass and the Clemson brass that it was in both of their best interest to, 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 to back out of the ACC. And, I mean, it took a year or two to kind of work through the details. And anyway, at the last moment, Clemson changed his mind and McGuire convinced South Carolina they were making a mistake. I mean, I don't think they left him at the altar, but I think both had decided that they were never going to be treated like first-class citizens. It was always going to be a North Carolina quote-unquote conference. And McGuire had some, uh, he had some swagger. I mean, he had some, uh, some, some, you know what I mean? He was a, a big deal, as Rogers said, to the world of college basketball at that time. And he convinces the USC brass, let's get out of the ACC. It's in our best interest. He went to Clemson and, and kind of convinced some of their brass to join forces, you, you know, they look at you as a second-rate citizen. They look at us as a second-rate citizen. So let's just get out together and leave them kind of holding the bag. And um, and the Tigers, I don't want to say got cold feet. I don't want to say left South Carolina to the altar. But they decided at the last minute it was not in their best interest to back out of the ACC. McGuire kind of had his name on the line, his reputation at stake. And there was no way he was backing out. And I do believe, to Roger's point, I mean, it was the reason that South Carolina wandered around in the wilderness of independence for a long, long time. And, I mean, it set their athletic programs back many, many, many years. They caught a break in 92 when the SEC came calling, and out of that came big revenue stream and a degree of relevancy, uh, you know, being a, a member of a prominent conference. But that that's what I've heard. Now, once again, I don't know if that's true or not, and everybody that told me that had a Gamecock lapel pin at the State House. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. George in West Columbia. Good morning. Good morning. 
I'm calling about McGuire and the basketball team. Uh, I was an avid fan back then. I played a lot of basketball myself. But McGuire, I'm going to give you a reason why McGuire left the ACC, because I remember distinctly what happened. When they played the ACC tournament, Carolina was the number one ranked team in the nation. And North Carolina State had no chance of beating us. But back then, they did not have a 30-second clock. North Carolina State slowed the ball down. They just dribbled the entire game. It was a very boring game. I think they won something like 20 to 18. And McGuire was so livid about it because if you lost the ACC tournament back then, you couldn't go to the NCAA tournament. He was very upset about it. And I remember him saying that he was going to pull out of the ACC because of that. Just want to throw that little tidbit of information in. Thank you, George. Appreciate that. Yeah, in the old field forward four corners days. I mean, that, that would have been after McGuire had left South Carolina, but um, without the shot clock. I remember, I mean, I'm thinking about a game that South Carolina played Maryland in basketball, and Maryland did the same thing, kind of held the ball and won 17 to 15 or something crazy like that, and they ended up having a fight at the end of the game. And South Carolina, the only guy not from the Bronx was a guy named John Reebok from Savannah, and Reebok took a swing at the great lefty, uh, lefty, what was lefty? I'm thinking of Lefty Frizzell, um, but he's a country singer. Lefty, he was the basketball coach at Maryland. Lefty, what oh, was no. his name, Riff? Look up Lefty, coach of Maryland. That's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> I'm thinking Lefty Frizzell, but he was a country music singer. Lefty Drizzle. Lefty Drizzell. Lefty Drizzell. Uh, Frizzell, Drizzell. Drizzell, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lefty Drizzell was the coach at Maryland, Okay, and they had a big brouhaha and um, D-R-I-E-S-E-L-L. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. a really good coach. I, yeah. I, if I'm not mistaken, Lefty's last year or two may have included coaching the great Lynn Bias. Remember, Bias got drafted by the Boston Celtics and died from a cocaine uh, overdose because I've heard Larry Bird say, if Lynn hadn't died, we'd won two or three more NBA champions. That's weird how you're dead. I mean, I can't remember anything about Aldrich. Geometry. I mean, I, I know nothing about history and, and science and math. I mean, I was not paying any attention to that. But, I mean, I can remember John Roach's scoring average and how many touchdowns Jeff Grant's had mm. in the Clemson-Carolina game in 1975. If I'd only paid attention to things that should have been paid attention to and not the nonsensical world of sports, but I've always been kind of a sports junkie. And Roger is right and George is right. Back in the day, I mean, it was basketball. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It was must-see TV when the Gamecock basketball team played on television. And, uh, and, and you know, McGuire had a kind of a um, a flamboyancy about him. You know, he wore these plaid uh, jackets, and he was kind of a dresser, New York City guy. And he went, had kind of a um, the famous pipeline from New York City. And when they'd announced the starting lineups in Columbia, every one of those kids would be from a borough of New York City, <laughs> from the Bronx, from Staten Island. Uh, you know, this player, that player, and another. Let's go to the phone. Williams in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning, Williams. Good morning. Ken, I got some good news. Um, I went down, I was coming down 95, got off at 78 E-Market. I look up at the gas side, 259. Well, in this economy, you can get cheap gas and you can get plenty of jobs. Okay, one more, another thing. What's up with this Rosa Parks? It's bad in the book about Rosa Parks. 
What's wrong with America first? Tell me, Ken. Talk to me. I, I don't I don't know what you're talking about with the book about Rose. I'm glad gas is getting less expensive. I mean, I can assure you of that. No I didn't kidding. like paying three fifty a gallon. I'm glad it's two fifty nine. Uh, I don't know how much credit I'll give the current president. I gave him all the blame, but it was expensive. I'm not going to give him any of the credit, <laughs> and you wouldn't do it either. Um, hey, why would they buy the book about Rosa Parks? I, I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. I haven't heard about that yeah, story. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. You haven't heard about that? Look it up. Look Ro- it up. I mean, I know who Rosa Parks is, but you're saying that somebody in America First Universe had something negative to say about Rosa Parks? No, they banned the book about her. Oh, banned, banned the, the book. book. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, I'll try to find out something about that, Williams. Okay, one more thing. Donald Trump keep bragging about he got rid of Robert, uh, Rose, got Robert, I mean, got rid of abortion. You know what I'm saying? He keep bragging about it. I keep hearing on the news, see it on YouTube. He keeps saying, I'm the one that got, got rid of Roe v. Wade. Women's y'all got to listen to this man. He's going to take you forward next. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. I did see a stat that since Roe v. Wade has been overturned, I don't don't hold me to this number. Forty thousand pregnancies have been carried out. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Thirty two thousand. Thirty two thousand. Okay. I thought I saw somewhere around forty. Um, and I would have been in general terms. I would yep. have said somewhere in the neighborhood <laughs> of thirty to forty, but you yep. say thirty two. I trust I, you I saw the same on that. But anyway, since Roe v. Wade is no longer law of the land. And that responsibility rests, or you know, is um, is entrusted to the to the state legislatures. They believe, through some analytic, that about thirty two thousand pregnancies that would have been terminated and babies would have been killed have been now carried to term. I don't know if they're adopting babies. I have no idea, um, you know, where they go from there. But that's kind of their number: thirty two thousand pregnancies that would have ended in abortion uh, do not now that Roe v. Wade is no longer. Um, law of the land. I think it's a good time. It's Monday morning. It's the Monday after Thanksgiving. I stand by my comments that this will be somewhat muted in the political period. It'll get a little quieter and a little quieter and a little quieter as we head to the Thanksgiving, excuse me, the Christmas, New Year's Day, January 15. You got an Iowa caucus. Um, there's a couple of things happening that I think we can um, discuss this morning that are relevant and should be paid close attention to, um, it seems to me that Ron DeSantis is making a decision about Iowa. I mean, he's got data that shows him he's not going to compete in New Hampshire. He's not going to compete in South Carolina if he doesn't excel in Iowa. He's had the Governor Kim Reynolds endorse. He had Bob Vanderplatt's, Vanderplatt's, big evangelical leader, in Iowa, endorse over the weekend. Trump accuses DeSantis of basically buying his endorsement. Um, I, I just don't know that it matters anymore. It's just really a little bit about the um, – I mean, we can actually go back and, and use the analogy I've argued on football, that there's a old-school way of doing football, and that's culture, tradition, developmental programs, and then there's a new way of doing football, and that is the NIL transfer portal. My money's on the NIL transfer portal. I mean, if you believe that you can create a culture and develop players that won't leave if someone offers them a lot of money, then good luck with that. I think that the NIL era is here, and I think the college football programs that devote assets and resources to implementing somewhat of an NFL front office model are, are go- it's going to be those that, that excel 
I could say the same to endorsements. There was a day when a popular governor of Iowa endorsed and a prominent evangelical leader endorsed. It mattered. I mean, it really moved the meter and solidified your standing. That's just not where we are in America today. We're in this period of transition. It's almost like we're going from the, the culture, tradition, developmental model into the NIL transfer portal model. And, and where do we go from here? I've said it. I'll say it again. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much a governor of Iowa endorsing matters. I don't know how much an evangelical, a prominent evangelical leader. I mean, historically, that matters. I mean, when you stand behind a podium with a sitting governor, I mean, you know why she's the governor? Because people voted for her. I mean, that, that's, you know, that, it doesn't matter any at all. Well, it does matter some at all because a governor got elected by the people that you're trying to get to vote for you. But, but I, I just think people now, and I don't know why. I mean, it would be a multitude of reasons. Maybe it's the combination of, of social media and the decentralizing of news and opinion and, you know, where do you get your news from? Uh, Williams just said something kind of interesting. You know, I saw it on YouTube. Well, I mean, that, that's where I get a lot of my information, YouTube. Now, I got to vet it. Do I trust this to be, you know, honest? Uh, do, do I believe what they're saying about this or, or something else? But I think we're living in this very, and I do think that's an appropriate analogy. The NIL transfer portal has shaken the world of college football to its core. I mean, we talked about Clemson on a rocket ship, and all of a sudden they aren't. Well, I mean, what happened? Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of things happened. Two, two great quarterbacks were as good as you thought they were. Another supposedly high-rated quarterback is not as good as people thought. In fact, two weren't. Uh, DJ, uh, DJ U, you. let's call him there. DJ U <laughs> and this new kid, Club Nick, I mean, they're just not as good as the other guys. It's obvious that they're not as good as the other two. Well, in, in days gone by, you get an endorsement from a governor. You get an endorsement from probably the most prominent evangelical in the state of Iowa. It moves the meter. I predict it doesn't move it at all. I mean, I understand what the media is trying to do and what the establishment are trying to do. They're trying to find any angle to create an alternative to Trump. I mean, Haley has basically defined her path as, I'm not DeSantis. I'm not Trump. I am old school. I am the culture development program. And it'll be interesting to watch this, Rev. If DeSantis doesn't win in Iowa, he's done. I mean, he's done. I think he's done anyway. I mean, I've said it, and I'll say it again. I think it's over. But for the sake of four-hour radio shows a day, we got to keep some conversation going. And DeSantis is at about 14% in the national poll. Haley's at about 11 12% in the national poll. Both are a little higher in Iowa. I think DeSantis is 17-ish. I think Nikki's at about 16-ish. Trump's at about 45, 6, 7 somewhere there about, um, but it's a caucus. I mean, it's kind of a weird way of deciding who the um, who gets the electoral votes or who wins the primary, but I think DeSantis has to win in Iowa, and he's done everything he possibly can to give himself the best opportunity. The interesting part of this to me is if DeSantis doesn't win in Iowa, I mean, I think he goes to, I mean, he goes to New Hampshire and probably makes it to South Carolina, We'll find out after South Carolina, maybe before, exactly how many establishment Republicans there are. Because Nikki Haley gets every one of those. I mean, she will get every single one of those. And what is her ceiling? I mean, I predict 35-ish. I think Trump's 60%. If, if DeSantis gets out, Trump's numbers go from 52-3-4 to probably 58-9-60 and and Nikki stuck on about, I mean, her ceiling to me, 
is somewhere between 30 and 35. And that just doesn't beat Trump in any way, shape, or form. It does identify the percentage of Republican primary voters that still believe in the the old way of building, not a college football program, but well, rather um, a winning campaign strategy. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, William's talking about 259 gas, and I'm glad. I mean, I don't care if a Republican or a Democrat is in the White House. I want a good economy. I mean, I know Limbaugh got accused of at some point in time, you know, pulling against Obama, wishing for a, a bad economy. I don't wish for a bad economy because presidents don't get hurt in bad economies. But their pay stays the same. Their benefit stays the same. They don't lose Secret Service detail. It's the average workers and the average business owners who get, you know, ravished in a bad economy. So I've never believed in that. Uh, the failure of a president is demonstrated by, you know, what the economy is, how the economy is performing. I want the economy to perform well for the men and women who work and, you know, um, subject themselves to the realities of our economy. So, so you know, and, and I think, I mean, th- there have been a couple of examples, I think, of right-wing pundits, talking heads. I guess I would be one of those to some degree that have basically said publicly, if it takes, you know, a bad economy to beat Obama, give me the bad economy. I've never been one of those. That's irresponsible to me. I mean, that just is because too many people get hurt in a bad economy. But but Williams is talking about the price of gas, two fifty nine a gallon. There's some underlying sentiment there, and it's about oil trade, energy trades, and some of these trades are um, June and July futures now. I mean, there's six months projections of what oil will be, what demand will be. I mean, it's a complicated commodity. It's not always been traded. This way, I know a little bit uh, more than most because I ran a convenience store, but I don't know the intricacies. I don't know the the fundamental dynamics of what causes. I mean, I know supply and demand, but and you know, and margins. You're producing this much. We're consuming this much. The projections and the technical traders. I mean, there's a lot of technical traders out there that aren't subjected or they're they're basically rev trying to beat the system. They're trying to figure out a way to make oil go up or go down based on um, not supply and demand, but but rather, I mean, you can buy oil and never take delivery, and you know, it's, it's, it gets real weird and complicated. But one of the reasons gas has gone down a bit is some of the projections such, uh, show a slowing economy and some of the six-month futures. I mean, that's not, I mean, the, the price of gas today is based on what it costs to produce gas today and what the wholesale price is, hence the retail price. But some of the some of the um the longer range forecasting suggests to me that the majority of economists and financially minded people believe that there's an economic slowdown in store. Um I read something yesterday about the Treasury. And we're talking about, I mean we're getting to the weeds a bit here, but um I mean I need to put my glasses because I highlighted a couple of sentences here. Um the Treasury this year I mean, this is staggering to me. The Treasury has issued about $2 trillion in new debt. Wow. I mean, that's almost unfathomable. Um, they've just spent money like nobody's business. Now, now a lot of this is what the uh, Inflation Redu- Reduction Act. <laughs> but, but here's where they found themselves. Hard to say that with well, a straight it, face. It, it's, it's real hard. It's the Inflation Reduction Act. It requires, you know, borrowing and spending about $2 trillion in a single year that we don't have. But but here's what's interesting to me, and this is where I get a, a little bit, this is where I know enough to be dangerous. You ready? Um, 
So the Treasury has is, is issued about $2 trillion in new debt. Um, at the same time that the, the Fed is utilizing quantitative tightening. In other words, the Federal Reserve is settling um, about $60 billion a month of debt. I mean, they're putting that debt on the market at the same time that the Treasury needs to find a home for $2 trillion in debt. So you, you've got the Fed basically saying to the government, hey, we don't want any more of the debt. We're trying to get unload some debt here that we've got on our books. So you've got Biden spending about $2 trillion, or let's say the government. The government's spending $2 trillion it doesn't have. At the same time, the Fed trying to offload $60 billion a month, and there's just no market for it. And we've always wondered, what is the number? What, where, where do we end up? I mean, when do the wheels come off the party bus? I read something by a Keynesian economist. And, and when Keynesian economists get alarmed, <laughs> I mean, because they never get alarmed. I mean, they, you know, um, I mean, they're, they're basically, I'll quote it. You ready? Government borrowing can sometimes be good for the economy. Um, the government should borrow and spend when its central banks are lowering interest rates. And it should rein in borrowing and raise taxes when interest rates are rising. We're not doing that. I mean, we're borrowing money as interest rates go up. Remember last week of the week, it's been a week before because it's a short week last week. Remember when I said bond yields and equity markets going up makes no sense? Somebody's wrong. I mean, there's no, when bond yields increase and equity markets increase, somebody's wrong. Now, you know, I, I would bet that the equity markets are wrong. Reggie Armstrong, I think, as um, I don't want to put words in Reggie's mouth. I want to be careful not to get him in trouble. But Reggie's led me to believe, and I think he's led our listeners to believe, that there's probably a market correction in store at some point in time. I think he said it publicly that some of the models that they have, I mean, it doesn't go into specific stocks, but he says some of the models they base their, you know, their predictions on. And, I mean, Reggie says every time he, full disclosure, he doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't know. But when bond yields are increasing and equity markets are going up, somebody's wrong. I mean, <laughs> there's no way around that. So, so the Federal Reserve is trying to slow down the economy by raising interest rates. The White House is trying to speed it up by deficit spending. How do you, I mean, some, somebody at the White House on the economic team has to say, hey, you know why we're spending money to juice the economy? Um, and this is still money left over from the Inflation Reduction Act. So, so the government spent about $2 trillion in the name of keeping the economy sound and this Inflation Reduction Act. At the same time, the Fed is trying to offload $60 billion a month in quantitative tightening. They're, I mean, who wins this battle? So, so when Williams says gas is two fifty nine a gallon, I look at some of these signs and I just, I mean, there's no other, there's no other answer than we're going to have an economic slowdown. I mean, it's soft landing, hard landing, transitory, sticky. We hear all these, these technical terminologies, but, but when I read that article, it, my mind automatically went back to bond yields going up, marketing, I mean, you know, um, marketing, uh, equity markets going up, somebody's wrong here, but then you dig in a little bit and you find out the treasury issued about $2 trillion in new debt at the same time the Fed says, we're trying to get rid of some of the debt we've already got. 
I mean, it's 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 going to guys. It's going to be a debt bubble unlike any debt bubble in human history. There's a little bit of me, Josh. There's a little bit of me that says I'd kinda rather a Democrat be president over the next five years because I really believe. I mean, I don't think we get out of jail for the next five. We may make it to the election of 24 before something dramatic happens. But I think whoever wins in 24 is going to deal with a bursting of the ever-growing debt bubble. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Back in the saddle again after about, what, four days of, well, really five days of being away from the political um, conversation, leveling with you, full disclosure. Um, my Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday were largely football, very little um, politics. It'll take me a day or two to get back in the groove. Um, I need a stimulating call. Some of the interesting calls this morning were about the rivalry, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, the Clemson-Carolina game. The, as exciting as the stadium appeared to be, the game was just boring. And I love college football. I mean, I can find good at about anything, but those two teams, <laughs> I mean, they just, it, it was ugly. <laughs> I mean, it was real, real Real ugly. Now, in in fairness to the Clemson, um, to the Clemson family, um, a win is a win is a win. I've said a hundred times, and and I'll stick to this: an ugly win doesn't count as a half win. An impressive win is not one and a half wins. A win is a win. It's the W. Is a win, and um, and I guess the frustrating part, ref, for you and I as big Gamecock fans, when you lose to Clemson five four years ago, you believe you lost to one of the best teams in America. There's nothing about Saturday night to convince me that we lost to one of the best teams in America. You left because you're you lost because you're just a bad football team. I mean that that's why you lost. You're a bad football team, and you got to figure out a way to get better. And is it the transfer portal? Uh, you know they were playing some freshman offensive linemen. That's a hard place to learn on the job. I mean putting a guy tailback as a true freshman, putting a guy wide receiver rush in. I mean you can get away with that at times. But offensive line is probably the hardest, most complicated job in all of football. And asking true freshmen to come in and start on day one is asking an awful lot. I mean, unless they are generational talents, and that's few and far between. And I learned this morning something that surprised me is you don't like mixing your politics and your football. I've got no problem with mixing politics with football. I don't like the idea of a university. you, you got a fan base that's suspicious about how political the university is. The fan base at South Carolina believes that the reason they've never won big in football is it's just too political. And all of a sudden, I hear from a fairly reliable source, Josh, jump in here. You'd be a neutral arbiter here. So historically, USC has been considered the more politically influenced universe or university. I mean, the state house and university basically share common ground. The majority of pages and interns, I'll give you an example. My daughter works, she's at USC today. She works every Monday and Wednesday at the Senate. I mean, they're kind of one, they're not one of the state house is not the USC campus, and the USC campus is not the state house. But there's a very, uh, a very complicated blurring of the lines. I'd, yeah, I'd imagine that. So, 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 so historically, we believe, Gamecocks do, and maybe this is us searching for an excuse, but I believe, and I think I can speak to this having spent some time in Columbia, I believe that Clemson is more politically insulated. It's not subject to the politics because it's over the corner of the state. 
it's kind of out of the way. They, they can get away. You know, what are y'all doing up there? Nothing. Not a thing. Nothing. What are you doing right there in the middle of the state? No, you know exactly what we're doing. Because yeah, everybody that goes to school at USC works at the Senate. And, yeah, you see where I'm headed. Well, plus, I mean, just there, you step over, you know, the property lines and you're on university property right from the statehouse, Correct. right? Correct. So, so, Josh, historically, Gamecock fans believe that the political influence has caused issues within the athletics department that have not allowed them to maximize their potential. So all of a sudden, I hear yesterday, and then once again, I don't know that this is true. My source is pretty reliable. doesn't make things up. But he told me yesterday, because we're talking about, um, you know, what happened. I didn't like Trump being on the field. I mean, I didn't like it from the get-go. So, so I asked my buddy, who I know is closer to that situation than I ever will be. I said, hey, tell me the skinny. He said, what do you mean? I said, tell me the lowdown. Nothing. I said, oh, I'll stop with that. I'm not, I mean, you know who you're talking about. I mean, I know better than that. He said, well, I mean, for, here's what I've gathered. The athletics department was not crazy about Trump coming on the field with Governor McMaster. And they kind of pushed back a little bit. Perfectly fine with him being in the box. Perfectly okay with him being at the game. Honored to have him at the game. Honored to have a former uh, president, current front runner of one of the major political parties that they know half the stadium supports and the other half doesn't. I mean, you know that when Trump shows up, you know what he brings. He brings a lot of excitement. And he brings a lot of detractors. I mean, that's just the nature of politics, and he's kind of a hyper case of politics. So Trump shows up, the university's athletics department, the, the, the one that shouldn't be influenced by politics, says, hey, we're cool with him being in the box. We'll accommodate travel. We'll do whatever we can to get him in and out of that stadium safely and securely. We'll work with the, the, the Secret Service. But we'd rather not be on the field. We, we'd rather reserve that for the game, the players, and, you know, the, um, the, the rivalry. And the next thing you know, Trump and Henry McMaster show up on the field. They don't reward him or they, they don't give him some award of commendation. And I'm talking about the Order of the Palmetto. I mean, if there were some ceremony that, that you know, we, we owe Trump something from the state of South Carolina, some debt of gratitude. He had a big check for the federal government. I get that. I mean, I don't like that, but I get that. But what did Henry and, and, uh, and Trump do on the field? They waved. Okay, they waved. They waved at people. And I just don't like that. I think it affirms the suspicion that many in Gamecock Nation have about who carries the day, who wins the battles. Is it in the best interest of the athletics department or are or, or the politics going to override or over, you know, supersede that? I mean, do you understand that? Yeah, yeah, I kind of get that. I mean, like you, you touched on it, it any college that's in the same area as the capital, I would say is more politically inclined. But in terms of Trump being there, you know, th this kind of gets into the minutia, but I would say that having him at the stadium, putting him in a big in a big private box, that's par for the core. Um, having him out on the state uh, stadium grounds during halftime might be a little too much, but I, I think it's kind of harmless. It's like, you know, if the, if the president or former president is there, Show them off a little bit. You know, it's I, it's fine. But it confirms the suspicion that most of the fan base has. Sure. That if given the opportunity to do what is the best interest of the athletics department or what is politically expedient, we're going to always do. And I don't know what happened. I mean, I've talked to Rev off the air, and I'm a good old boy. You know this. I mean, I can imagine once the athletics department pushed back a little bit, somebody from the governor's office called, you know, somebody on the board and said, hey, we're having trouble with the athletics department. They don't want Trump on the field. But let me see what I can do about it. 
and somebody calls somebody, and somebody calls somebody else, and somebody calls somebody else, and then all of a sudden, the athletics department said, hey, we changed our mind. I mean, it, it won't be a problem. <laughs> you know how that goes. Um, now, it's not as the majority of funding now with public institutions does not come from the General Assembly. I mean, there was a day that about 80% of all the funding of USC and Clemson came from the General Assembly. Now, I think that number is 9, 10, or 11. That's direct funding. I mean, there's some indirect funding and some capital projects, bonding and whatnot that they do. Uh, I just think it, it, once again, is it the end of the world? No. Is it the fun and games department? Yes. But the commingling of politics and, 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 and University of South Carolina, <laughs> it just kind of confirms. Uh, I had a buddy of mine when we were talking about it this morning. He said, what did you expect to happen? I mean, you knew that was going to happen. I mean, whether, you, whether somebody gave you a heads up or not, whether some source revealed to you the way some of that was played out, I mean, why are you acting surprised? Well, I'm not, I guess to some degree, I am acting surprised for effect on the radio to try and drum up a stimulating <laughs> call or two or three. Um, and, and one reason I'm for it, and I liked it, I was there. I went to the bathroom, unfortunately, when uh, when they walked out on the field, so I missed that. But I did see him because he was in the box that was right behind my section, so I had a pretty good view there. But it was an opportunity for other people that were in the stadium to see him because if you were in the East upper you couldn't have seen him in the box where he was right so we walked down there and everybody got a chance to see that wanted to see him and obviously there were people that what about the ones that don't want to see well then they don't have to look well you see where i'm headed i I just think there's an element there that you you're asking but i saw what what also kind of skewed my thought was somebody posted they said and this was after the fact because there was a lot of negativity i I saw online as well about oh you know i i can't believe my university would do that even let him there he's that dude he is and, uh, you know, I don't, I, I hate that part of it, but whatever it is, what it is, but, but somebody posted, Hey, I'm not really, I'm not really a Trump supporter, but I've never seen a president in the flesh before. And I think it was pretty cool that he was at my university. Let's take that and go here. You ready? I mean, there, there may be a chance to create some sort of dialogue or, or kind of a debate about this. What does it say for America when 35% of its country, I mean, imagine this guys, and we don't know how the election plays out and I have no idea how these trials, I don't think they affect it. I don't. I mean, I think everything that they're going to do to Trump is baked in the cake. I mean, if you look at the historical analysis, every time they go after him, he gets a little more support. He becomes a little more formidable. Now, I don't know if there's a smoking gun in any of these cases. Um, I mean, he's going to be convicted on some things. I mean, he's going to be convicted on obstruction of justice. He's going to be convicted on mishandling classified information. He's going to be convicted, if not already, on some of the, um, the nonsense in New York about claiming your property's worth X when it's really worth Y, you know, and making deals with the banks. I mean, he's going to be convicted of that, whether it's bogus or not. I mean, it's that's just the way it is. I mean, the lady that ran for that elected office said, if you vote for me, I'm going to arrest, indict, convict Donald Trump of something, of something. Show me the man, I'll show you the crime. What does it say about America? when the guy that is under that sort of threat is the front runner in the presidential poll. I, I want to go here. RCP average. You ready? Today as we speak, on average, Trump's at 47.2%, Biden's at 44. I mean, Trump's, you know, I mean, that's within the margin of error, about 2.9%. Uh, DeSantis is up 0.8%. Haley's up 3.9%. Trump's at 61% in the Republican primary. I mean, doesn't that, I mean, what, what other conclusion can we draw other than 
those that we've entrusted to be trustworthy are just not trusted any longer. No, I mean, well, we media, don't believe the, the charges that, are real. They're they're you know political. Those that we have always referred to as the moral authorities, right? I mean, the media and academia and the the body politics. I mean, of course they they're partisans. They've got their motivations. But at some point in time, we cut to the chase and get to the bottom of whatever it is. Well, everybody that we've historically trusted to cut to the chase and get to the bottom of it have no credibility. I mean, if you hate Trump, go to MSNBC. You, you would ask, you, oh, how in the world can America elect this guy? But MSNBC is not telling you the truth about Donald Trump. And apparently, see, my, my, my interpretation of this number is the American people are becoming aware of the shenanigans that the media and academia and historians and, you know, the, the establishment politicians are playing. Every time that Trump is attacked by one of these folks who profess to have the moral intellectual high ground, his numbers go up. Well, well and go back to the Russia collusion hoax. I mean, that was, what did, it, what did it put his administration and our country through? And it was a bunch of crap. But what do we say, Josh and Rhea? What do you say about the person who doesn't verbalize it? They're not intense. I mean, the, the, you know, but they've already concluded that's a bunch of nonsense. I mean, you know, I don't care much for Trump, but, but the way they're going after him. Uh, and, and you add that. And again, if they're not that engaged, but if you add that to the fact that somebody may say things did seem to run a little better when he was president. And that's what they're saying, Rev, that there's a combination of I don't know, man. I mean, you know, should Trump have been on the field at Columbia or not? I don't know about that. I heard a guy on the radio say he didn't like it. I heard another guy say he did like it. But but it does seem to me that, you know, everything they threw at him some of it stuck, but most didn't. And they're running him through the ringer, trying to take him off the ballot in certain. But I just think the very people that are trying to destroy Donald Trump, make him stronger, bigger, better, badder, whatever. I think they intensify the support. And I do believe this. I mean, I've got buddies of mine. And I guess the most recent conversations we've had about politics, you know what they'll say over and over? They're going to turn me back into a Trump voter. I mean, they've done everything they can to wash their hands of Trump. I mean, they're like Pontius Pilate. I wash my hands of this man. I mean, I don't want any more to do with him. But then, you know, another story breaks on MSNBC, another attack from CNN, another indictment on, you know, whether his property's worth X or Y or Z. The bank got paid back. I mean, nobody lost any money. There were assessments and appraisals and all these, these other things done. I just think the very people that, that are trying to drive a wedge between Trump and his voters are creating more intense and loyal support between Trump and his voters. And actually, I mean, the numbers clearly show this, making the, the universe bigger. I mean, Trump, I mean, the, the two polls, guys, has Donald Trump north of 50. I mean, maybe they're a little more favorable to Trump than most other polling, but his national average is 47 and a half. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. Couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Don N. Mullins, good morning. You're on. Good morning. I think there's more important things to worry about than whether the former president was at the game or not. I mean, it'd be interesting to find out what the difference in the cost of a hot dog, a beer, a ticket, et cetera, was the gas to get to the stadium, et cetera, and so forth. He went in. He didn't cause a big conflag like everybody's worried about going into the stadium with a, you know, with a caravan, et cetera, and so forth. He had standing ovation during the when he came out on the field. Seemed like most of the people were happy. All right, good enough. Some people don't want flyovers anymore. Uh, some people don't want the colors. 
Some people don't want anything. I think we need to worry more about the state of the country, and we got bigger things to talk about than Clemson and Carolina at this point. I know it's a big deal in South Carolina, but if Clemson and Carolina both cease to exist because of a mushroom cloud coming from some faraway country, it really would pale by comparison to everything else people were worried about. So that's kind of where I'm at. Thank you, Don. Appreciate that, my man. Appreciate you taking the time to call in. Yeah, mushroom clouds worry me more than um, Bumble's yeah. return for touchdowns. Yeah. So I, it, admittedly, I, this is the fun and games department. With, and without question. Just fun to talk about. And I'm thinking about why Don's speaking. How much are we entitled to spend thinking about fun and games? What What is the proper emotional and intellectual energy we should kind of reserve for the fun and games. I'll, t- I'll tell you what's fun for me. You know what's fun? It's not fun to watch a Carolina Clemson football game because I'm invested. I mean, I, I, I'm almost a participant. I mean, the game means so much to me. I, I've, I've, I've had season tickets and I've gone to games and I've given money and, and I've yelled and screamed and I've had my heart broke and all these. I like to watch the Philadelphia Eagles and the Buffalo Bills. I love football. I love good football. Um, northeast, bad weather, two good quarterbacks, two good teams. When the game's over, you know what? I could care less who wins. It doesn't matter at all. <laughs> That's fun to me. The game Saturday night is not much fun because I feel like I am too invested in something. To, to Don's point, it, it prob- I probably do. I mean, that, that's, a fair, that's a fair point, fair criticism. It probably means more than it should. We have a finite amount of intellectual horsepower and emotional abilities. And and what is a fair percentage? Josh, I'll put you on that. What is a fair percentage of us to invest in or utilize our talents in kind of the fun and games uh, department? Whatever your fun and game is. I mean, people like golf, people like racing, people like football, people like, you know, checkers and chess, and they like hiking and camping. I mean, there are a lot of things people do for fun and games, but how much of our lives should be spent, you know, invested in the fun and games department. Let's let's go to the phone. Josh is kind of, um, he's staring at the ceiling as if he's <laughs> Aristotle, seriously <laughs> pondering what the right answer. You know what the right answer is? I don't know. You don't either. Right. It's subjective. Let's go to the phone. Jam and Darling. Good morning, Jam. Good morning, guys. Um, that Philadelphia Eagles-Bills game, that was a good game. I, um, I This is back to, to the Carolina Clemson football game, and I agree it was not a good game. Um, but I found out from a extremely reliable source. Did you know that uh, about fifteen or sixteen of the Clemson players had um, the flu, and they took a separate van to the game? Ken, yeah, I heard that yesterday. Yeah, and um, I didn't know if you had known that, if y'all had mentioned that this morning. Um, but you know, that had a lot to do with the game, but it was just not a good for both to and the, um, the, um, ref, the, 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 um, some of the calls were not good at either. Good either. But, uh, who would have been, that's true. Who would have been, <laughs> um, who would have, um, had a better reception, um, Trump or Dolly Parton at, uh, on down on the field. <laughs> Thank you, Jam. Appreciate that. Well, I mean, Dolly apparently has had some work done. Um, I mean, I understand aging well, and then I understand don't stand near that fireplace because half your body may end up in your boots. 
Um, that, that was great at the halftime of the Cowboys she's game. She's a treasure. I mean, you oh, know she it. is. I heard something over the weekend about Dolly at 77 dressing and, you know, doing that. And, and this room full of females. Um, that they were, it was the Dallas Cowboy football game. This guy's telling a story about they're all, all the families together. The men are watching the football game, you know, chewing the fat. The women are not paying any attention at all. And all of a sudden, one of the men said, hey, that's Dolly Parton dressed like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. And all the women came running over. And they just, I mean, ridiculed her to no end. You know, that's silly. And look at how crazy that looks. And, and, and one of the men said, you know what the funny part of this is? She would join y'all in saying how crazy and silly <laughs> it is because she kind of ridicules herself yeah. a little bit. Um, one of the great Dolly Parton stories, and Rev knows where I'm headed here. Rev and I are big Eagles fans. And so I watch any YouTube video I can find about the Eagles. I mean, I, I, they, they wrote the soundtrack of my growing up. As big a Springsteen fan that I am, the Eagles were the band that sang about the things that I related to so much in my, um, you know, com- becoming a, a, an adult. But Don Henley, uh, in his free time, these guys will tour and then they stop touring and they'll do their own, their own things. Henley wanted to pay tribute to certain forms of music. And Appalachia was something he got real interested in. And he wanted to better understand the culture and some of the, uh, some of the church hymns and some of the, um, I don't know, spoon playing spoons on porches and whatnot. And Henley is a very interesting guy anyway, kind of, kind of an oddity. Uh, in the typical rock and roll superstar mold. But he said he contacted Dolly Parton, and he asked Dolly to come sing on an album, kind of a tribute to Appalachia. He said she graciously said, I'll do it. And um, you and the Eagles, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you can kind of hear her saying yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they, they, he says we're in a studio. She comes at 10 o'clock with two other women. One's a hairdresser and one's her driver. I mean, it's not bodyguards. It's two women that look like they grew up with Dolly. And he said, we're, we're all looking like, what the hell is something? What's going on here? He said, she came in, she did her bit, and she was struggling a bit. And because um, it was, uh, they, they'd written and recorded it in some G minor or something like that. And Dolly goes to Don Henley and says, Don, I don't know if I can do that. In, in my younger days, I could do it. But and, and, and Don Henley's telling the story. So I looked at Dolly, I said, Dolly, God, I should have let you know, but we've already written it and arranged it. And the orchestra's ready. The band's ready. And I got the backups singers ready. So she just looked at him and said, well, I just had to red back and go get it. <laughs> and I just think there's so many. I just had to red back and go get it. Yep. And said so she red back and went and got it. And said then, you know, one lady picked up a briefcase. The other picked up like a, uh, a suitcase full of wigs. And, and I, out of the studio they went. And all of us were looking at the window like, what did we just see? I mean, three women walk in, you stay saw for an hour. Dolly. You saw Dolly. That's exactly what, what she saw. And that's why she's such an American treasure. But the women that were basically poking fun at Dolly for dressing like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader, had she been in that room, she would have poked fun at herself as much as you were poked. And that's what makes her so relatable and and, and respected. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back. In just a few. 843-661-0937, our number, couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Bryce and Florence, good morning. You are on the air. Hey, guys. Um, just wanted to kind of call in, in response to Don's call. Um, I used to take it way too serious, the Clemson Carolina games. Now um, I don't spend all week before reading all the stories, um, kind of watch the game. If it's real late, sometimes I'll go to bed and watch the rest of the morning, and then the outcome doesn't really affect me. But um, 
I used to kind of be the same way with politics, where um, I'd spend all week following the news, thought it made me more educated and enlightened. And as I had kids and more kids and now four kids, I realized a lot of times um, that keeps me from being able to enjoy them. I kind of get depressed watching the news, and um, then it's it's hard to come home and, and not not have kind of some positiveness to, to spend with the kids. But um, but I guess where it comes back full circle is, is what's important and what what do you spend your time? Do you enjoy life or, or do, you, do you worry about the next mushroom cloud or whatnot? But um, when when I used to do mission trips before I had kids, um, a lot of times what would attract us in countries like Kazakhstan where they say um, you can't evangelize, but if people ask you about religion, you can talk to them. The thing that kept coming up is um, – it was amazing to see y'all laughing and enjoying life. And that's what attracted us to ask you more about your religion. So it, it's part of kind of a side effect of freedom. Do we take it too far sometimes? Yes, but enjoying life and laughing and enjoying family. Um, there's some countries and some people that never get to experience that. And it's one thing that we, sh- we shouldn't take for granted. Thank you, Bryce. Well stated, well said. You know, I was thinking about this as we head to Christmas. I mean, we just passed Thanksgiving. We're in this holiday period of, post-Thanksgiving, pre, pre-Christmas, pre I thought about doing a show dedicated solely to you calling in and in your own words, tell me what you perceive the good life to be. I mean, what is the good life? I mean, it's it, I would imagine it's a balance of a lot of different things. I mean, it's got to include the word contentment, doesn't it? Uh, is, is, is contentment above success? Is success above, above contentment? But I have. I've thought about as we head into the Christmas season, um, all of us have something to be thankful for. What, what is the good life? What, what does that mean to you? I mean, I, I don't know if I could verbalize it right now, but if you gave me, you know, half an hour, I could write down some things I'm very thankful for, some things I regret. I love these people that say I don't have any regret, regrets in life. You've not, you probably lived under a rock. I mean, I've got some regrets. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not burdened by many of those. A couple I'm burdened by, but most I'm not. Um, it's a part of living is messy. I categorize it as crap happens, but, um, but, but it, that, that to me would be a very interesting show for you to call in as a listener, as a fellow human being and, and, and kind of express and articulate what you perceive the good life to be. And are you living the good life? And in, in relation to what you perceive it to be, by what percentage are you actually living your good life? Your best life. Let's go to the phones. Bobby in Orangeburg, listening to WTQS. Hey, Bobby. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, I got two thoughts based on what I've been hearing. First, with Dolly Parton, the thing with the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader uniform, it goes back to a 1967 incident when a buxom adult film star showed up at the Cotton Bowl, which was the home stadium back then, and they decided to ditch Cowbells and Vogue, which was the cheer squad of young college-age men and women, for someone based on that. So that's part of the reason it felt inappropriate. And as the second part, after the Dobby Saturday night, I got so frustrated, I took down my identity because I wanted to be, apply for a Dutch citizenship to be a Dutch citizen so I could wear orange. But the worst part of all is They've expelled the Gamecocks from the SEC. They're going to put them in the Sun Belt. James Madison, Appalachian State, 
have been promoted, as channel as WMBF News likes to say. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. <laughs> kind of a creative call, um, to say the least. Rev and I were talking about Dolly. I mean, it, is Dolly first in line? If someone, if a fellow, if, if Josh were a rock star, Rev were a rock star, and I was a rock star or a pop star for that matter. Um, who is the person hardest to say no to? Well, we were. She has just released a rock album, and she requested of artists to come sing some of their famous songs with her. I mean, she convinced Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr to sing a version of Let It Be, which has recently been released. Amongst And there's many other artists who have done this. And, yeah, you asked that question, which is an interesting question, and I think she may be the answer. And how much, how much credit does she get for appearing to be authentic or seeming to be very authentic? I mean, in a world of phony baloney, and I think we'll agree with that, the world of entertainment, I mean, it's hocus-pocus. I mean, the entertainers pretend to be somebody they aren't. That's how they get paid. I mean, think of a movie star. What does a movie star's claim to fame? I mean, they, they pretend to be somebody they right. aren't. I mean, there is no Jack Reacher. I mean, they, you know, there, there is no, give me another. I mean, they, you know, you see where I'm headed. I mean, they, they, they're paid enormous amounts of money to pretend they're somebody they really are not. I think Dolly gets a lot of credit for appearing, I don't know her heart, uh, appear to be authentic. She seems to be that the quintessential what you see is what you get. And I think to I think McCartney and Ringo Starr, Beatles, uh, the two living members of the Beatles, uh, when Dolly calls, I think Ringo calls Paul or Paul calls Ringo. I can't tell her no, but I can tell <laughs> Dolly Parton no. I think a lot of those people, it'd be easy to tell no because you think they're full of it. But with Dolly, you're like, I don't know, man. I mean, she seems to really be different than than the rest and i don't know if you've paid attention to this this album or this these songs she has produced and they've been releasing them i guess over the last several months or whatever and another one comes out and it surprises me and it looks like a bunch of them came out about a week ago so there's a version of baby i love your way with dolly featuring peter frampton um don't let the sun go down on me with elton john and i mentioned let it be with paul mccartney and ringo star free bird with I guess members of Leonard Skinner, Magic Man with Ann Wilson from Heart, um, Heart of Glass with Debbie Harry of Blondie, Keep on Loving You with Kevin Cronin of Ario Speedwagon. You know, I got to believe that it went something like this. So the Dallas Cow or the NFL, the NFL inquires Dolly Parton's people, you know, whomever her, her agent is or whoever, uh, a member of her staff, whoever takes care of Dolly's business. Um, the NFL reaches out and says, hey, we'd love to have Dolly perform at halftime of the Dallas Cowboys game. So Dolly, kind of, you know, somebody reached out. Dolly said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. So they, they start orchestrating the the event, and they, they give her some, you know, warm-up suit, some Dallas Cowboy warm-up suit. <laughs> Dolly says, I'll wear one of them uniforms. <laughs> so. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what y'all, y'all don't think I wear one of them uniforms? <laughs> I'll wear one of them uniforms. I had all kind of work done. I mean, y'all don't know the amount of work <laughs> I've had done. I'll wear one of those. One of those. Don't give me a warm-up suit. Give me a real Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. And I just think that's what really – endears her i believe this i believe more now than ever the world yearns for authenticity that they have a burning desire to believe that this person is genuine and real and who they say they are and i know this is weird and i know that i'll get you know some pushback from the other side but i think that's the endearing quality of trump and i know the other side says you really believe that donald trump is an honest broker. I mean, you really believe that Trump's not playing a game. You really believe that Trump is who he says he is. How can you believe that? 
I mean, he'd be at the bottom of that. I don't know. But I do believe that a, a majority of the electorate were looking for somebody that would say what they believe and, and kind of let the, the public deal with it the best way they knew how. And along comes Trump, and along comes these outlandish things he says. But I think as he says these outlandish things, as he says these over-the-top things, the American public are going, well, I mean, everybody would say that if they could. The Mitt Romneys of the world are afraid hmm. that they may be considered uh, undignified or, or not so proper if they say these things. And I think Trump gets so much love and admiration or adoration, really, by appearing, and once again, I don't know his heart, so I'm saying appearing to be comfortable saying things out of the mainstream, out of the norm, against the grain, and in a world where the voters believe that everything has a plastic wrapper, everything is bubble wrapped. I mean, if, if DeSantis said that he ran it by his focus group and he ran it by six consultants and Trump walks out behind a podium <laughs> and says these things, oh, no, 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 don't say that. He thinks no, it and he says yeah, it. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't. Too late. <laughs> And then his poll goes from 43 to 46. Right. You can't do that. <laughs> and and by the way, uh, if you want to hear those Dolly songs, you can find them all on YouTube. Uh, there was another one that surprised me. She actually got Steve Perry to come sing Open Arms with her. When's the last time you heard him sing? Uh, it's been a long, 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 long time, except on um, some of the classic rock stations that, um, you know, you'll hear some of the uh, But he hasn't sang former... those Journey songs publicly that I've heard There's in some forever. dude that sings Journey about as well as Steve Perry does. Oh, yeah. Ar- Arnell. Yeah. Uh, who was that? Arnell. He sings with, with Journey now okay. on tour. I thought that was one of the Leadbetters. <laughs> Ar- Arnell, W.L. Adele, Odell, yeah. Marcel, Claude, Eugene, Chloe. Take a break. Josh is like, what? I don't want to. It's Monday, Josh. It's Monday. Josh is like, what show did I come Yeah. Take a break. Back in a few.
Okay, we don't wait on Amazon Cyber Monday or Walmart <laughs> and Black Friday. We decide when Christmas season starts, right, Josh? That's right. We decide <laughs> when it's officially Christmas season. We debated amongst the three of us this Monday or next Monday. And I mean, I was kind of a little more reluctant than Josh or or Rev. They were like, I don't know, man. We're already playing Christmas music, and uh, you know, this is after Thanksgiving, yeah. so um, it's officially. It's official. It's officially Christmas season. And are you here saying at, that, uh, at Wake Up Carolina? That makes it official when well, I mean, we play Bruce. Well, I mean, I, yeah, well, that is. And I'll <laughs> say, great version, great song. Okay, there's there's two of his. Rev, I says, like. he's, Rev says he's got a, he's got two songs worth listening to. Yeah. One's Born to Run. Yep. Which I think he calls a rock anthem. It is. And the other is Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which is, uh, you know, c- kind of a um, it's a it's a staple. It is of the of the Christmas season. Yep, great version, without question. Um, Santa Claus is coming to town. Nineteen eighty four, the old Carolina Coliseum. It's about eleven fifteen. Um, it took a lot to get me tired back in nineteen eighty four, but I remember somebody throwing a Santa Claus hat on the stage in nineteen eighty four, and at about eleven twenty five at night. But the concert started at like eight. It's eleven twenty five, and like I said, it took a lot to get me tired in nineteen eighty four. And I'm going like, damn, is he going to sing Santa Claus is Coming to Town? Sure enough. <laughs> <laughs> with a um, with a Santa Claus hat on his head at about 1130 in the old Carolina Coliseum in 1984. That would have been the last, that would have been the river tour, if I'm not mistaken. It, I don't think it was born in the USA. I mean, I think the next year, I'd have to look up, um, so, you know, what date and what year. I think it was 84. Um, could have been 85, but I think it was 84. I just remember thinking to myself, we ain't ever getting out of here. And and I'm a Springsteen fan, <laughs> and I was a young buck at the time. You know what I mean? I, I you know, I had some I had some stamina. Uh now I'd go like, Yeah, I'll catch this one on YouTube. Let's go. It's <laughs> like leaving the football game early. You know, I'm I'm out of here. I'm gonna beat the crowd. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. David in the PD. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning. Uh hey, as Spurrier would say, you can't spell Williams Bryce without Williams and Bryce. That- You've had two callers today, man. Uh, I think about what you got one named Bryce, and I think about Williams. He was talking about a textbook in Florida. That's the, what the Rosa Parks is. That's what he's talking about, Ken. And I, I love Williams. You need to ask him. He's talking about gas prices. Ask him if he's pro non EV because he's still dealing with non EV vehicles. I don't know about you guys, but when I was watching that game on uh, Thursday, I saw Dolly Parton. I said, Gato Mani. Uh, I, what was your reaction, Ken? It would have been similar to that. <laughs> well, that's a country boy reaction. Hey, I'm going to give credit to my girl, Cher. She was at the Macy's Day. 
parade, I think. She's there. These women are 77 years old. What will we do without women? Take that, Don Lemon. And uh, I'm thinking about uh, that game the other night. Uh, I call it time warp. Uh, that would have been back in the day. You might have been at these games, Ken. There was a time when the Gamecocks won 13 to nine. I think that was back in 1979. That'd have been we 79. Jay, Jay Feltz had an 80 some odd yard punt. Clemson had a quarterback named Billy Lott that missed the receiver in the end zone. How do you remember the the, this stuff? I just remember Jay Feltz had like an 80 some odd yard punt. They kind of pinned Clemson way back in their end. They drove the length of the field an incomplete pass in the end zone at the end of the game. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. Like I said, Rev, I was a C student at best. But if you wanted to know Johnny Unitas' completion percentage or, or what the Gamecocks <laughs> were doing in sports, I was your guy. Well, hey, uh, what I remember about that game was old Danny Ford. He was the coach and uh, for Clemson. And somewhere along the line, he used to always like to pull up a blade of grass, chew on it. And uh, he just reached down there, that AstroTurf. He couldn't pull it up. So, I don't know. I, I, 1987, uh, that was another. I guess you call these boring games, whatever that. When you win, they're not boring games, 20-7. Uh, to 7, And I was thinking you'd talk about uh, Lynn Bias and some of these guys for the Celtics. We didn't have Brad Edwards to get that pick six. So, that to me, that was a whole school game, special teams, field position, defense. I think Clemson, they only had like 319 total yards, 169 for the Gamecocks. But another thing I thought about, Ken, you, back in the day, I'm sure you went to that farmer's market when it was a true farmer's market. I did? You did. I, there's times, man, I used to sleep under the sheds. This People don't imagine this. Uh, you know, as, as like an 18-year-old, drive a pickup truck, full of watermelons. Uh, we didn't sell them that day. You sleep there. You sleep in the truck. I, I can't remember if I even locked the door on the truck. I'm, I'm just talking about the world changes. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's sad that, you know, you talk about how people going to get back and forth from the stadium and how that area is people are scared of it. That I mean, I saw it from a firsthand experience as being at that watermelon market I wasn't afraid of Shop Row and Bluff Row and this and that. So, but it is—it just shows you how the world, the the security that we have to go through these days. It's just how the people have changed. And um, I, I'll leave you guys alone. I mean, I, I was thinking about the Trump motorcade and this and that, how that's changed from the, the days back then. But but anyway, you have a good day. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. You know, I don't know what to make of the changes. Um, I mean, the world changes and it changes and it changes and some of the changes I like and some of the changes I don't like, I, I guess as I've gotten older and, and I go back to, we're talking about music a second ago as I've gotten older. Uh, and I know I've said this on the air before there's a line in the Bob Seger song that, you know, I began to seeking shelter again and again, uh, Rev gave me a hard time. You don't know. How, I mean, when we debated about season tickets and I told Rev, I said, I don't know, man. I mean, you, you, you've not been going as long as I have. There's still a newness about it with you. Mm -hmm. um, you've not been a season ticket holder for that long, and Rev got his own parking spot, and it's a lot of fun. And and it, you know, it, but but I'm not saying to get tired of it, but it becomes less of a priority. And in other words, how many treks am I going to make to Williams Bryce and watch a you know a pretty mediocre football team and program when there are other things I can do? And I think Bryce kind of nailed it. You know, um, balance. You know, I, I told Rev 
uh, during the break. I said, man, what, what I may do next year is split some season tickets with someone. I mean, I didn't give up my parking spot. I still got my place in line. I just knew that this year was going to be a little bit crazy. My son had moved down to the coast and had a new job, and he's going to have to work some weekends. And, you know, we just got some other things kicking, and it was going to be unpredictable. Um, and and they forced you now to make a, a pretty significant financial decision. Um, you know, back in the day, you gave $100 to join the Gamecock Club or Ipte. And, and I know inflation. I mean, I get what things cost then and what they – and what they cost now, um, it's just a, it's a big decision. But, I mean, I've got friends of mine who are very middle class, and they decide as a family every year whether to buy season tickets at Clemson or Carolina or go on a vacation. I mean, that, that's a decision they make. They know their income. They know, uh, you know, what, what, what it takes to crack their nut. And, you know, the and I'm not saying the university's forced this on, on people because people could walk away and say, I'm not paying that much to watch college kids play football. Um, and it kind of goes back to what we discussed this morning, the um, the evolution of college athletics. I read a tweet over the weekend, and I don't want to make this a sports show, but I thought this was interesting. So Indiana would be a middle-of-the-pack football program at best. I mean, they're probably more mediocre than we are. I mean, they've got a rich basketball heritage and tradition to the Bobby Knight era in days. But Indiana football ain't nothing to write home about. But Indiana's paying a coach, what, 18 to $20 million to write off of the sunset, but they're arguing they can't find $3 million to fund an NIL to buy the, the, the adequate players to be competitive in the Big Ten. How do you have $20 million to pay a coach to go away, but you don't have $3 million? Yeah, well, different pots of money. Well, okay, we'll merge the pots of money. Donor fatigue is real. I mean, you know, I've got friends of mine who could give a little. i got friends of mine who could give a lot. But the majority of friends of mine who can give a lot are beginning to ask themselves, how bad do I want to win at football? I mean, I want to win. I want to compete for championships. But to what extent? I mean, what percentage of my disposable income am I willing to commit to a football team, whether it's Clemson or South Carolina? Now, it's easier to be a Clemson fan because you've got some return on that investment. I mean, you've won three national championships so so when you sit down and decide whether it's worth it or not you go well i mean i remember those two playoff runs we had i remember beating alabama you know for an to alabama twice for national championship if you're a gamecock fan you're going like i remember yeah i do i, I remember <laughs> you see where i'm headed yeah. I'm, be, I'm being critical to my program right. here made, made but, it but, to the sec championship game yeah once, once a year and beat clemson five in a row that's kind of the claim to fame um and that's why I suggested earlier, and and you, you know, I mean, I, I put something on paper over the weekend, actually on what I'm trying to say, the computer. Yeah, it's on Facebook. And, it, it's, and, and by the way, it was well written, and if, if anybody wants to read it, uh, it's on your Facebook page, but it also was picked up by Fitz News yeah. as a, an article. But it's it's a blueprint. I mean, it's just a suggestion. It's a, it's a set of guardrails that I think the university should consider. Why would you continue to believe that you're going to get better at football doing things the exact same way you always have. I mean, I don't want to use the cliche definition of insanity. insanity. Uh, that's so cliche, but it's so appropriate. I mean, why would you believe as a Gamecock? I mean, as a Gamecock family, why do we believe unless we do something fundamentally different, we're going to get different uh, results? And, and, the, and the analogy I used in what I wrote down over the weekend is Steve Spurrier is, by most accounts, a football savant. 
I mean, Spurrier would be one of the most elite coaches in modern college football history. Steve Spurrier won an ACC championship at Duke. At Duke. Steve Spurrier won six or seven SEC championships at Florida. And I know a lot of people are saying, that's Florida. Well, check the record and see how many SECs Florida had won before Spurrier got there. I think it's zero. I mean, I know it's Florida, big, bad Florida. They've not always been big, bad Florida. Spurrier turned them into big, bad Florida. Steve Spurrier coached three college football teams. He won championships at two. He didn't at one. So if Steve Spurrier can't win a championship at South Carolina, but he could at Duke and he could at Florida, why would you continue to build the program around the, I don't know, the guardrails that have been in place for, you know, 120-some-odd years? You shouldn't. you got to start thinking outside the box and do something fundamentally different. And the part Rev's talking about, I have proposed uh, kind of a blueprint, a, a, a series of suggestions. I mean, I'm not crazy enough to believe that my way is the only way and my way is the best way. I think my way is a very different way. And I think when you can't build your program on what you've done in the past, you start looking forward and say, okay, football has evolved. It's no longer developmental. It's no longer culture and tradition and, and legacy. It's now NIL and transfer portal. So everybody's starting at square one. Of course Alabama has an advantage. Of course Ohio State and Michigan and Texas and Texas A&M and Clemson to some degree have an advantage. But it's not much of an advantage now. Everybody's starting the new race at about the same place. Not now up through the ground, come up, but didn't crew. That gives Texas and Texas A&M a distinct advantage. But, but there, there's an ability right now for the Gamecock athletic program to redefine its football. And I'm not sure they'll do it because they seem to be nah, far too set in their ways and they seem to be accepting of as long as the balance, uh, as long as we operate in the back, black and the books balance, you know, and the fans keep coming. I mean, think about that. I mean, if you're running a business and you're not a very good business, but your customers keep coming, I mean, that's the dilemma you find yourself in. The Gamecock fan has been so faithful and loyal, almost to the point of allowing the business to be subpar. In what other sector of the economy would, would people subject themselves to a half-ass hamburger or, or, or a decent enough pair of jeans? I mean, if the jeans were decent enough and somebody had another pair of jeans, you know what you'd probably do? You'd probably buy, I mean, if the hamburgers weren't very good and there was an alternative to the not-so-good hamburger, but, but the Gamecocks have put forth a very mediocre product for the balance of its hundred and some odd years, but the fans keep coming and they keep operating in the black. So you wonder, what is the motivation? Well, to me, it's operating in the black. Operating in the black is more important than winning football games. I'll give you a different analogy and we'll take a break, Josh. You know, analogy... It would be like the church having $20 million in the bank but not winning any souls to Christ. I mean, if the Christian church believes in the Great Commission and the Christian church says, we didn't save any souls, but we got $20 million in the bank, are you really serving your purpose? And I think Gamecock football is not intended to operate in the black but rather win games and excite fans. And they've not done it the way they've conducted themselves historically. So try something different. And I believe the new era of college football will force some teams to adopt a NFL sort of model with a front office and a, a football CEO and a CFO and a talent evaluator and kind of a staff of um, experts. Here I go with the expertocracy of college athletics. And I think South Carolina is a school 
that could maximize its potential by embracing this new way of doing things by being creative. And that's something they've historically not been very good at. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, I knew we would talk football, and I knew we would talk, um, obviously, politics, and I knew that some of the focus would be on Trump. You know, it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this riding over this morning. Uh, I like the fact Trump's at the game. I mean, I think that brings the school great notoriety. I think it's good for the rivalry. Um, you know, people around the country that keep up with politics but not college football say, well, I mean, you know, their guy was at the Gamecock-Clemson football game. I mean, that's a big deal for anybody. You kind of introduce your rivalry to people who – don't know anything about it, could care less about it. But now they're going like, yeah, Trump was in South Carolina at some football game. You know, they got these two schools that don't like one another and play one another every year. It's a big deal, and and he was there. Um, I do ask this question hypothetically. There's no way Josh could be uh, a source here because he doesn't know enough about it. But I'll ask Ray of this. Mm-hmm. Um, does Trump win the crowd in Columbia, the, the 80,000 <laughs> in Williams-Brice Saturday night, right. by a larger or smaller margin then he wins the crowd oh. that would gather next year in Death Valley. I mean, it's a um, it's a ninety ten crowd, uh, maybe seventy five, no eighty five fifteen. I mean, it's eighty five percent Gamecocks, fifteen percent Tigers. Um, next year it'll be eighty five percent Tigers, fifteen percent mm-hmm. Gamecocks. Does Trump win one crowd over the other? Uh, probably wins the Clemson crowd a little bit. Why? More. Well, it's it's uh, perceived as more rural, I guess. Uh, it's away from the, uh, the the Columbia political machine, I guess. Yeah, and um, and it's in the Upstate, which is a haven for Republican Republicans politics. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, I think Trump wins the Clemson crowd, uh, and I'm talking about the the eighty thousand or whatever at the game. He wins the Gamecock crowd. That that if everybody in that stadium Saturday night were made to vote, Trump probably wins that crowd. Uh, well, it depends on who you're running against. You know, generic Democrat, generic Republican. I mean, if he's running against Nikki Haley, he wins by less margin than if he's running against um, Joe Biden. But you're right. I mean, there would have been more Trump supporters in Clemson. Um, I, I told a buddy of mine on the board at Clemson, excuse me, on the board at South Carolina, we were at a spring game a couple of years back when Trump kind of um, – you know, but Trump began gaining some traction in the presidential primary, and he was asking me, you know, I had a political past, and asking me about, you know, what I thought about Trump and, and where it would go from here. And I told him, I said, you know, at Carolina, I think a lot of folks would vote for Trump. They just wouldn't wear the MAGA hat. At Clemson, they'd wear the MAGA hat. You know what I mean? It would be a badge of honor. I jokingly said this morning, but I don't know if it's much of a joke or not. I think if you started the upper deck of the, uh, the, the last row of the upper deck, Trump wins that crowd 90-10. As you gradually work down to the lower level of the upper deck, and I'm talking about row one or two or three, he probably wins that crowd by a lesser percentage, but he still wins the crowd. If you go to the low, jump the club level and the executive suites, forget those for a second. If you go to the lower level, I think he wins that crowd, but not by as much a margin as he wins the uh, what I call the working class fan who decides whether to go on vacation or buy season tickets. Um, you get down to the lower level, you got a lot of businesses and, you know, uh, families that have been there forever and they've been to the Gamecock club forever, but you get to that, um, club level at executive club, it's 50, 50. I mean, Trump against a Democrat, he probably wins it, but Trump in a primary against DeSantis and Haley, he loses by a mile. I mean, he wins the upper deck going away. He wins the lower level by a much smaller margin, but he loses 
the club level and executive suites. He loses that at South Carolina and Clemson. I mean, that's kind of an interchangeable crowd. That's those that kind of like things to run as they built the machine and intended for things to run, and they perceive Trump to be this, you know, this um, bull in the China shop, and and they put all the China exactly where they want the majority <laughs> of the China. Keep it there. Yeah, there you go. Take a break. I mean, excuse me. Let's go to the phone. Rick and Marion. Hello, Rick. You're on. Hey, thank you very much. Hey, great show again, guys. Hey, the only barometer I've got to uh, assess whether the uh, the crowd would have been going for uh, Trump more Carolina or Clemson was the Dabo Sweeney interview. Did you all see that? I did not. Uh, he was actually kind of rude uh, about Trump saying, unless he was on the field and we were pitching him a halfback patch, I wouldn't care who's at the game. Okay. Okay. I thought I thought that was kind of kind of bland on his part. Thank you, sir. Well, we welcome him. We welcome him with open arms. Yeah, uh, yeah. I thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, and I guess he's just saying, hey, this is football. It's a game, and that's what I'm focused on. I'm not going to worry about anything. Well, else. and Dabo's built his own brand. I mean, Dabo's got Shane doesn't have a brand. I mean, Be- Beamer's brand. I think Jason said it right uh, Wednesday at some of the, uh, I think last Friday when the Friday before we did the Wednesday, my week's getting screwed up because of last <laughs> week and the Christmas together. holidays. But um, I mean, there, there are a lot of similarities between Beamer and Dabo. I mean, every day is the 4th of July, really emotional. Um, don't find any negativity when, when there's all the reasons in the world to be negative. They just refuse to buy into that. You know, they want to be positive and uplifting and we're going to build this thing and we're going to build it with you without you. Well, Dabo's done that. I mean, and Gamecock he, fans kind of made fun of him for it. Well, I mean, I joked. I mean, I called it happy camp. Yeah. I remember, and this is where I get in my own way. I remember thinking to myself, who does Dabo Sweeney think he is? I mean, you can't act that way. You can't watch that team play three hours and believe there's greatness in this crowd. There's no greatness in that crowd. That's a very average foot. But he never relented. I mean, he stayed the course. He, I mean, he believed. Now, the one thing Dabo did, and we're turning into a sports show now, that Shane is yet to do i mean shane will have to make some tough decisions about coaches mm-hmm. and, and about some of the uh, personnel that he has hired um dabbo was very shrewd i mean he was very shrewd when it came to this guy's not getting it done he's my buddy but he's not getting it done i've waited all my life for this opportunity and nobody's going to stop me from succeeding i, I got to get rid of these three and go find three better ones there um, I did read yesterday, a Clemson fan could correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think in year three, Dabo was six and seven. If I'm not mistaken, maybe I'm wrong here, but but I think I read something yesterday that in year three, um, Dabo's record was six and seven. The fourth year is the year that I believe you just don't get much benefit of the doubt. I mean, that, that that's your team, your program, your identity, your invested um, you know, that that's it's hard to blame Will Muschamp or Tommy Bowden in year four. Maybe year three, that there's some transitioning there, especially today with the portal and the uh, and the NIL arrangement uh, the way it is. But I think year four is your baby. And, and I think year four is probably the year. I don't know what Dabo's record was in year three or year or year four, but there must, must have been a big improvement. But for Dabo to say that about Trump, I mean, that, that Dabo's kind of like saying, hey, man, you're a big deal over there. I'm the big deal here. You know, and I respect that. <laughs> I mean, I do. You know, I won a couple of national championships. I'm not taking a backseat to anybody at a football stadium, especially in this rivalry. I mean, why aren't you asking me about my running backs? Why aren't you asking about, you know, um, you know, the, the state of why, why you, want, you want me? 
I mean, you want me, a two-time national championship winning coach, to tell you what I think about a presidential candidate? Really? I mean, I think Dabo, I mean, and I get it, a little bit insulted. Um, I mean, I could hear Dabo saying, or, or, is this game on CNN or MSNBC or is it on ESPN? <laughs> I mean, is this a football game or is this a political rally disguising itself as, as a football game? And I'll say this, I think Dabo has very, very shrewd instincts. He's a little bit like Trump. He says some of these things. You can't say that. You'd have been better served to say it another way. He knows exactly. There's a good analogy, Rev. When, when, when Dabo said those things, Dabo's not talking to a Gamecock loyalist at the beginning of his career when he said there's greatness in this team and we're going to do things that nobody ever imagined. I'm going to myself, you're a nut. I mean, you're a happy camper. But Dabo wasn't talking to me. Right. He's talking to that Clemson universe. I mean, the, the people that he needed to buy in and support his vision. And he got the last laugh. You better believe it. I mean, by an overwhelming margin. Well, when Trump says these things, Trump's not talking to the host at MSNBC <laughs> or the guy in the corner office at Goldman Sachs. I mean, Trump knows who his crowd is. <laughs> or even the club-level suites in no, Williams Bryce. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, if you watch him, his neck was severely bowed. I mean, his back was almost leaning. Trump was looking at the upper deck. <laughs> He said, that's where my army is. In, yeah, in, I think he pointed and waved at me one time. Well, I mean, I'm sure right, he did. Right out the I'm box. sure he did. Well, I mean, he called me and asked me, is Dave <laughs> Baker going to be there? And I said, he'll be sitting down with the other rich folk in the lower level. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you and the president were close to one another. And right. um, that's how folks like you run. All right. Well, ironically, I mean, just by happenstance, because I had no idea where the the suite was he was going to be, but it was right behind our section. So Trump wanted to know if Rev was there. Yeah. And Rev was sure. I'm sure that was it. Be. That's how those guys run. <laughs> um, let's go to the vault. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning. So uh, in typical fashion in, in the South, what we can bring uh, taste to condensation, uh, to, to uh, looking for the right word there, Ken. But, uh, <laughs> make up one. Make yeah, just up make one. it up. Uh, uh, to contempt. But, so we used to what? We used to call uh, the war uh, the late unpleasantness. So And you were looking for a way to, uh, to rename this bowl because obviously – Two terms in South Carolina are completely overused, which is Palmetto and PD. Um, everything's either named Palmetto or PD. Um, so let's just name the bowl the late unpleasantness, um, especially as a Carolina fan. Um, but when we look at when we look at what's happening going into politics next year, uh, let's look at what the mainstream media is telling us um, because they'll tell you exactly what's going on but it's just going to be the complete opposite. And I, was it ABC that was parading around a bunch of old white men from Pennsylvania saying that they've been lifelong Republicans, but they will vote for the Democrat over Trump? Uh, I, I think the media is in panic mode, and they've got to be in a weird spot too because they need, in one way they need Trump. Look at CNN in particular. Um, you know, they – they need Trump for ratings, but but they hate him. And so, uh, but they'll tell you exactly what's going on. You just have to look at it in a mirror and understand the image is reversed. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jim. That's kind of an interesting take on that. Yes, I believe the media is privately in meltdown. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think the media is in absolute meltdown mode. They've done everything they know to do to convince the Trump supporter to be embarrassed to be a Trump supporter, and the universe has gotten larger, and it's gotten more intense. And I just think it, it's it, it's tone deaf. I mean, it's a lack of awareness. It's a lack of 
of self-awareness, I don't think people in the media have any idea how little the American public trusts them. When they see these polls that say the trustworthiness of the media are in the tank, they just say to themselves, well, I mean, people just don't know any better. I mean, they didn't go to Dartmouth or Yale or Princeton or Harvard. Had they gone there, they would understand what strategy we're employing here. While we're trying to save a democracy and salvage, you know, a republic. I mean, they, they genuinely believe that. See, see, that's always the great debate. And, and Josh may, may can help me here um, because he's a younger guy. There's always this internal and external debate that, that we have about the media, whether they're just tone deaf and don't know any better and really genuinely believe the nonsense they're trying to, to sell to the American public, or do they know? And is it total malice? I mean, is it absolute distortion and manipulation? I mean, I know it's distortion and, manipula and manipulation, but is it in the name of um, trying to be an honest broker? In, in other words, are there people in America's newsrooms today that genuinely believe that Donald Trump is a threat to democracy? Or, 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 or do they kind of laugh under their breath and say, hey, if we can convince a few people that he is a threat to democracy, you know, maybe we can stop him from getting elected. But I think they're to the point now, Josh, they don't know what to do. Because everything they've done has failed. In fact, everything they've done or they've done has kind of intensified and made even larger that sphere of influence. That um, And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I've got about six or eight people in my world that, that have told me in the last month, and, you know, they, they've turned me back into a Trump voter. And, and I'll say, who is they? Well, you know them. You know who they are. I mean, it's not one person, probably not two. It's kind of an organizational effort to convince this person that he's a not, I mean, he's crazy to be a Trump supporter. And he goes, nah, I'd probably be crazy not to be. Thank you, media. I, 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 just, I, I just think they've, the, the very thing they're trying to destroy, <laughs> they're, they're recreating. Take a break, back in a few. Not Amazon, not Walmart, but Wake Up Carolina decides when the Christmas season starts. <laughs> and we played Springsteen's Santa Claus is Coming to Town, so it is officially Christmas season. Yeah. And nobody but Wake Up Carolina and Pepsi of Florence decide when it's time for our Takes Mondays to make Fridays <laughs> trivia. And this has been a kind of a different Friday, excuse me, a different Monday, uh, wishful thinking, because yep. we were out of pocket uh, Thursday, Friday, and did a sports show Wednesday. Thanks to Rivals, and I mean that sincerely. Will Webster and his folks always, always, always accommodate, take good care of us. It was a lot of fun to banner back and forth about the rivalry in the game. Um, thank you to the Gamecock faithful who did outnumber the Tiger faithful true. for the first time in a long time at um at Wednesday's Rivals, a show, uh, store-divided show. Here's my trivia question. You ready? Um, the Gamecocks suck, and I accept that. But one of the biggest games of the year is the SEC championship game this Saturday afternoon in Atlanta between Georgia and Alabama. Four teams have won in excess of 10 SEC championships. Name three of the four SEC teams that have won more than 10 SEC football championships. Eight, four, three. 6610937. First correct answer wins a six pack of Pepsi product, couple of takes Mondays to make Fridays t shirt. I need three of the four SEC football programs that have won more than 10 SEC football championships. Hi, you're on. What's your guess? Florida, Alabama, and Central Florida. Nope. Ah. Let's go to the next caller. Do we have one? Yep. 
Hi, you're on. What's your guess? LSU, Alabama, and Georgia. You're right. LSU, Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee are the four that have won more than 10 championships. Who is this? Where are you calling from? Aubrey Montrose, Florence. Okay, Aubrey, hang tight. We'll get you back to um to Josh. He'll get your information, and um, and we'll get you your six-pack of Pepsi product and your Takes Mondays to make Friday's um, T-shirt. Tomorrow we're going to kind of um, – we're going to remind you that every year we do a season of giving. Uh, we partner with Pepsi of Florence Community Broadcasters does to honor Mr. Frank Avant, um, a lifelong resident of Florence. I mean, I, I don't know how to say it any other way than the most generous man I've ever known in my life. He's deceased. He's passed away. He was very instrumental in Rev's radio life. Probably the main reason, along with Harold and Harold Miller and Dave Baker, why I'm on uh, the radio. But we want to pay tribute and respect his generosity by allowing you, our listeners, to express, you know, your love for fellow man as a kind of a partner with Community Broadcasters and Pepsi of Florence. And um, in raising money, we've identified some needy families. It's cool. I mean, I don't know anywhere. And we'll, we'll kind of expound upon that as the week progresses. You folks have always, always stepped up and, uh, and helped make these, these families' lives unbelievably better. And by that, I mean the kids don't have any expectation for Christmas. The ladies at Community Broadcasters, they're probably, you know, mad with me about it, but they go out and shop, <laughs> shop and, and, you know, and they buy these gifts. Fill and, out the, the wish list. Yeah, and then we take care yeah. of these families that don't know this is coming their way. And it's such a rewarding and gratifying experience for me to be a part of. But it's not about me. It's about paying respect to Mr. Avant's generous and giving spirit. So we'll begin kind of um, talking about that as the week progresses. Yeah, where you come in is, you know, make the donations. We'll take it from there. We've assembled uh, with the help of some local agencies, the the names and the wish lists. Uh, and then if you'll make a donation to help support the effort, then we'll take that money and we'll buy things and get those delivered to the 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 families that are on these lists. And uh, the information's right up there. The donation page is right up there at live953.com at the website. Now just look for Season of Giving and click on that And link. we hardly ever ask you to do much of anything except listen. We love you to listen oh, yeah. and keep us gainfully employed. Please. But we're going to solicit contributions from our listeners to make sure you know, we take care of these families in the name of Mr. Frank Avant. Um, been kind of a weird Monday. Congratulations, Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, wait on next year, right? <laughs> wait on Again. next year. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.